on the northeast tip of North America, on an island called Newfoundland, there's an airport. It used to be one of the biggest airports in the world. And next to it is a town called Gander. Welcome to the rack if you come from away. You probably understand about half of what we say. They say no man's an island, but an island makes a man. Especially when one comes from one like Newfoundland. Welcome to the rack. Welcome, one and all, to episode 119 of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. With me, as always, is Christine. Yeah. Were you, was there somebody else that's always with me? My cats are here, you know but they don't talk. Somebody may always be with you in your heart. In my heart. Well, you are. That's also you. Jeez. How many, 119 episodes, and you still don't understand how much you mean to me. There's somebody else here, though, right? There is somebody else here, and I want to give this person an introduction, if you will, uh, in a few ways. One, as I think about this, now, I go on Twitter every now and then. I'm not really on Twitter that much, but you know how if you don't go on Twitter for a while, and then you go on, it shows you that you have, like, not mentions, but, like, notifications, and it's either mentions or it's just people that you have liked or read their tweets and things that they've said that a lot of people have liked. And it's almost mm-hmm. always three people that show up there, and two of them are in this recording area right now. And one of them is you, Christine. <gasps> and the other... Thanks. Is, I think... Yeah, well, you, you earn it. The other is none other than somebody from my favorite of Canada's provinces, uh, somebody from one of my favorite podcasts. It is none other than Doug Tilly of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Doug Tilly, Welcome. Thanks for having me. And boy, it's good to be on a podcast unlike my own where there isn't 20 minutes of preamble before I let the guests <laughs> say something. No, no, it's, it's it's terrific to be here. Though I want to ask you, Emily, when you mentioned that I'm from one of your favorite Canadian provinces, which which province did you mean? Oh, it's actually my favorite. I don't know why I was mm. coy and said one of, but sure. Newfoundland is obviously my favorite province. I, I I love hearing it. I, I I don't hear it very often, believe it or not. Not even in this country. I know it's it's kind That's of crazy. embarrassing. But uh, the fact that I'm from Newfoundland is something I'm very proud of. Uh, even though I Should am uh, living in the cesspool that is Ontario Ugh. at the moment, I I I pine for my home. You'll all get the back time. there one day. Sure, probably. The there are many things I love about Newfoundland. I've never been, mm. but I I do enjoy the hearing the very intense accent occasionally. Intense is a good way of putting it. Yes. Now, you don't really have that accent. Have you just kind of yeah, lifted it out of yourself? Yeah, do you have an accent? I, if I go to Newfoundland, and, uh, or mm. even if I spend a little time with my family from there, my accent comes back with a vengeance. Uh, I can't fake a Newfoundland accent, which is a really yep. – it's a shame because it when is. you tell people you're from Newfoundland, they're like, do the accent. Do it, I want to hear it. the accent. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, I can't. I can't really do it like on command. It just comes out naturally when I visit or when I'm speaking to someone from the island. Uh, that's how I like to refer to it. But uh, but you know, it's it's a very unique location for those who have not heard a strong Newfoundland accent. I would recommend doing a little search on it. It's sort of a mix of Irish and drunk. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess yeah. my my measurement of it is come from away the musical. Because, oh my goodness! Because it's all Newfoundland accent, or it's some version of a Newfoundland accent. <laughs> a lot of mainlanders trying to do a fake Newfoundland accent, <laughs> if you ask me. Well, it's you know, it's. I think I'm in the same boat, Christine. I don't know if you're the same way with New England. I'm from I'm from an island. It's a Long Island, and Long Island. Oh, I'm a, from an island too. You it's are a Rhode we're, Island. We're all Islanders. Oh, <laughs> but isn't it hard to to try to do your hometown accent? Can you do yours, Christine? 
Park the car in the yard. See, that sounds yeah. like when I do park the car in the yard. Well, yeah, because I was just doing an impression of it. Yeah. Flawlessly, um, might I add. <laughs> yeah, and my when I try to do Long Island, it just very quickly turns into Marissa Tomei from My Cousin Vinny, which is not really Long Island. So it's a challenge. But the I want to hear it. You can, can we hear that? Um, yeah, do it, please. Okay, so the other way, the only way now that I can channel a Long Island accent is recently my husband pointed out to me that as much as I think I have a pretty decent speaking voice, uh, there is one type of word or sound that I cannot do well, and that is a diphthong. So hmm. when you have two vowels in a word in in a row and they have different syllables, like poem or museum or curig. Those kinds of oh. words. I have a, I, I just never do them. To me, poem is one word. It's called poem, not poem. Um, and the word that this always came up with was R-U-I-N, which I've always said as rune. Oh. But apparently, it's supposed to be ruin. And I can't, when I, I hear that. you were just classy. I thought, I thought I was just saying it right. I thought ruin sounded very, it always makes me think of like Marissa Tomei ruining her lasagna that she made for, for Vinny. I don't know. That's what I hear. You know, a word that I have a lot of trouble with and my wife hounds me uh, endlessly about it. Now she's from Buffalo. She's a, she's a member of your country. Oh, yes. Um, but Buffalo. And, yes. But, but not, a, a, not a member of my state, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Buffalo in uh, <laughs> It's the word beer. Um, huh. And, and when I say beer, I use it in all the connotations that you might not think just the, the relational uh, uh, rhyming version. So if I say I'm drinking a beer, or I'm being chased by a bear, oh. or I'm bare naked. I mean, that oh. it's all the same word for me, uh, and it makes it confusing. Uh, and I do try <laughs> to work on it. I'm um, drinking a bear. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous, but it's just one of those. Uh, the other thing about Newfoundland that that aside from the accent is that there's a lot of very unique slang that sometimes I find uh, are introduced to my everyday speaking, even now. And I, I haven't lived there regularly for well, well, well over a decade. And uh, and every once in a while, Jill will have to just uh, – that's my wife. She'll turn to me and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> we don't call that a car hold. We call it a garage. Yeah, exactly. And of course – and sometimes it's because she just doesn't understand what I'm saying. But often it's because I'm using some of the strange slang mm. from my island featured in the hit Broadway musical Come, Come From Away. Away. The other thing that I love about Newfoundland – uh, and I don't, if, if this is not true, then I don't want you to, to ruin it for me. I like to picture Newfoundland is, is home to the name of my favorite breed of dog, which are Newfoundlands or Newfies. They are gigantic and they have big heads and they drool everywhere. And I love them. And in my mind, Newfoundland is just made up of people and Newfoundland dogs just going yeah. about their day. Like there are as many, there a dog for every Newfoundlander. And they ride the subway, and they maybe even drive the car. I don't know, but just don't don't destroy the dream for me. Are there a lot of newfies in Newfoundland? Oh, oh yeah. I oh, mean, again, God. newfies is also what we use to refer to the people. Right. Though some actually, you know, you might not know this. Uh, this is a little secret for those of you who are listening and might not even know that Newfoundland is a place that exists. <laughs> uh, people, some people in Newfoundland are very upset by being called newfies because oh, oh there's a history of Newfoundland-based jokes by people from outside of Newfoundland about Newfoundlanders being very stupid or slow or dull and they tend to be called Newfie jokes so people sometimes get a little bit uh, irked 
by the youth. I don't care. Are they uh, offended if, if you call the dogs newfies? No, I they, I can't wow. imagine that they would be okay. then. Uh, but uh, I also I hate to say it, your pronunciation of Newfoundland <gasps> is a little iffy, and I, it's I'm only bringing it up because if anyone from Newfoundland is listening, and I'm sure there's many, uh, they would get very upset at me if I didn't say, "What are you doing, Look, massacre?" I wanted to point it out too, but I didn't feel like it was my place. Is well, it? I, am I supposed it, to say it the way Tara Reid does in Alone in the Dark oh, when she calls oh, it Newfoundland? Oh boy. Uh, and then is that I, the right way to do it? She plays a scientist in that movie. I know she does. A brilliant scientist. <laughs> uh, I would recommend just saying it the way that I say it. <laughs> Can you repeat the way you said it? Absolutely not. Damn it. Well, I am recording this. I suppose I could stop everything right now, rewind it to make sure I have it from this point forward. Please do. And when you do, when you get it perfect, send me a recording of it, and I will judge you on a scale of okay. 0 to 10.5. And if it's good, you're going to make that it a ringtone. Fun. <laughs> so as much as we love talking about uh, we are also going to be talking about a movie and we'll talk about we'll talk about a lot of movies where we talk to you talk about the movie the feature presentation of this episode if you will um now because we have doug here we kind of figured well, we have to do an eric roberts movie for those who don't know uh doug first tell everybody about your podcast because i don't know that we really if, if there are listeners who don't know you you should give a rundown because it is one of the best concepts of a podcast I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's a little confusing to some people. Uh, the, the fact is I made a blood oath to watch the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. And if you're not familiar with Eric Roberts, that's fine. Many of the guests on the show are also not. <laughs> uh, Eric Roberts is an actor uh, and he is probably best known as the brother of Julia Roberts. Though he has had a, a, a pretty substantial career even before her career sort of got going but what he's kind of most known for now is that he's a very prolific actor one of the most prolific actors on earth in fact uh so uh, a number of years ago i um being aware of that fact already i was like you know he's made so many movies that would be kind of a fun idea for a podcast and also to kind of destroy my life by <laughs> By devoting myself to this person who at the time I had very little familiarity with. But I just thought the idea would be there's so many of these movies and a lot of them, they kind of, as we'll talk about in this episode, they cross over with my other interest, which is micro budget and mm -hmm. ultra low budget cinema. So the fact that he made a lot of that sort of work, I'm like, I'm watching this stuff anyway. He pops up every once in a while. Why not make a whole podcast about it? And I did. And uh, and here we are. And now when people hear the name Eric Roberts in almost any capacity, they will send messages to me <laughs> and say, hey, Doug, did you hear about this? And I'm like, you know what? I did, but I appreciate you letting me know. And, of course, it all kind of culminated a couple years back where at the Cinepocalypse event, which is actually going on as we uh, as we record this uh, a couple years ago on the very first one, uh, my uh, co-host Liam O'Donnell and I, we went down to – Chicago, Illinois, and we did a live interview with Eric Roberts in front of a uh, an enthusiastic crowd. And that I was so happy for you when that happened, <laughs> but I was also so scared for you. Yeah, because, oh boy. I mean, what happens when you meet your not maybe not your dream, but because <laughs> by that point, I mean you've been doing the show for a couple of years. How many episodes have you done it? But so it's it's actually I'm so glad you asked that, Emily. A very great question uh, because. Uh, as of this recording, just a couple of days ago, we recorded episode number 99 wow. of Eric. But what's what's particularly interesting about that fact is that 
our episode 100 is going to be the final episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man for the foreseeable future. Now you might be wondering because I already mentioned that I made a blood oath. Still have blood to give. A blood oath to watch the life and work of, of actor Eric Roberts. But here's the thing: I have been investigating the sacred text, and I have found not an out. There's no out because a blood oath is for life. But I I found a. A, a way, a ritual, you might say. Oh, is that it like I in might... your dark where you can drain all your blood but pump new blood in you? Is that Look, it? I don't want to give away exactly how this is going to work, but I will say that my uh, co-host on the show, Liam O'Donnell, and I, we've been talking about this a lot. We're we're going to find a way to transfigure this blood oath onto perhaps someone with a less complex and less uh, never-ending filmography uh, so there's going to be a new evolution to the show, and I guess people are just going to have to listen to episode 100 to find out how that, that goes. We might both end up dead, but uh, it's going to get released either way. Does Does Eric Roberts know? Well, uh, we talk about it on the show. So, of course, Eric Roberts, being our most devoted listener, would certainly know about it already. You know what? He probably doesn't. But when I stop tweeting at him 30 or 40 times a day, I guess he'll get the picture eventually. I'm I'm really concerned for him, quite frankly. He seems to be doing all right. <laughs> but maybe it's because he know, he he knows it's always been there. You know what I mean? It's because it's it it sits underneath him like like a like a pillow. Yeah. Like it it supports him and gives him the comfort that he needs. And if you remove that, his what will happen? support is just gone. Look, let me let me just make something very clear. I'm always gonna stand Eric Roberts. <laughs> I'm always gonna I'm always gonna be there for him, and I do not rule out a return, a uh, uh, an occasional drop in to the Eric Roberts is the fucking man universe, uh, and making sure that we follow his career. Because the fact is, I've devoted the last four years of my life to not just him, his life and career. True. So I do know a shockingly large amount about him in some ways and shockingly little in other ways. But, you know, I hate to think that a man who has, say, an injured squirrel sanctuary in his backyard, which is something that he actually does have, that I want to make sure that that continues. I need to make sure that he and his family are doing okay. okay. Hey, our, our bond, you can't break that sort of bond. Okay. All right. Well, um, it seems fitting then that I guess one of the last movies you're going to go out with on Eric Roberts, I mean, not particularly on his, on his show, is going to be the one that we're covering today, and that is Snow White, A Deadly Summer. Uh, we are going to not talk about that just yet, uh, even though I can't handle myself because I am so excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> I know you guys aren't, but I really am because I loved it. But before that, uh, whether they're Eric Roberts related or not, we talk about some of the other stuff we've been watching in recent weeks and such. We are uh, polite ladies who are raised correctly, so we want to know, Doug, for you to go first mm. and tell us some of your recent watches. And again, I, 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 wow, I'm just I, I'm I'm not handling this news well. Is really yeah, what, what it's a little distressing. I mean, it's worrisome for me as well. The fact yeah. is. I've never gotten more attention and less listens for a podcast than, <laughs> than, than Eric Roberts is the fucking man. But uh, the whole idea, um, and this is something that kind of got reinforced over the last few years, which is that, hey, perhaps we could take this idea and we could kind of still maintain it and maintain whatever chemistry the, the co-host and I have, and we could do it on somebody else. And that's okay. a really interesting idea. 
But uh, so we're trying to go as mainstream as possible. I mean, the fact is soon. I mean, I hate to say it. I'm going to be way too big for podcasts like this. Uh, I'll be so big Burn. that I I know, right? I mean, I'll be hobnobbing with cereal and, uh, you know, just the, yeah. the big wigs in the podcasting world. So I'm considering this particular podcast as sort of my exit from that world into something they a all stratosphere. all leave us for Mark Marin every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Lock the gates. I'm joining Mark Marin. Uh, him and I, I mean, look, it's about time. We're, we're both neurotic enough that I feel like it's been uh, a long time coming for us to develop a relationship. It's just, uh, look, I mean, again, I don't mean to be offensive to this uh, this uh, really great little show you have. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk I am. <laughs> and I thought Newfoundlanders were all nice. <laughs> I deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, so, I have to ask you, do, have you picked the person that you're transferring your oath to? I've got some ideas, okay. Emily. Uh, you know, are I you have. Do a vote? Are you going to do uh, a vote? Uh, are you going to do like a reality show competition to, to narrow it down? I can't. Uh, I would not like a Hunger Games? dare Come on, do it, do let, it. let anyone else into this decision-making uh, process. Uh, no, it's, no there's ring? a decision has been made. I, uh, there's going to be a real complex situation happening on episode 100. Uh, hopefully, maybe, boy, I don't want to give anything away at this point, especially because nothing has been locked down. But I will say that an announcement is forthcoming. You're a tease. You know that. I am. You are it's a what tease. I'm known for. Hi. All right. So tell me what else you've been watching, whether it involves or doesn't involve the mystery person you're going to transfer your affections to. So here's something that's kind of interesting. I was a recent guest on a podcast called The Podcast Under the Stairs. It's a show that I've been on a few times. And every once in a while, we do a roundtable episode uh, where we have a number of different podcasters. And they will will watch, say, the entire filmography. Uh, We did John Carpenter. And we did, Uh yeah, Dario Argento. I mean, just a lot of very well-known directors. David go. Yeah, (laughs) I could. Uh, No, but a lot of different ones and things like that. But uh, uh, just at the end of this most recent month, uh, we watched the entirety of the filmography of the Coen Brothers. So I Ah. had, up till the uh, beginning of June, been watching uh, Coen Brothers films nonstop, which I'll tell you is a joy. It's actually a pretty great thing to be doing. It it kind of spoils you for other movies. Uh, And even if the listeners right now are not huge Coen Brothers fans, you have to understand that for the other podcasts that I host regularly, we watch exclusively shot on video and micro budget, (laughs) basically, you know, shot in your backyard style movies. So there's a large gap. A little bit of a relief there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Maybe relief isn't the right word, but it's certainly, um, it it gives you a different perspective. Palette cleanser, if you will. Sure. So so I I actually kind of, after I kind of mainlined those movies for about three weeks straight, I I needed a little bit of a respite. uh, And just recently, I've been watching on the Criterion channel, the wonderful streaming network of... I've been watching some of the uh, work of, of Alec Guinness, the famous actor, because they recently they, they uh, have uh, released a collection. That's how for those who, who aren't familiar with the streaming service, they basically release a number of collections on a semi-regular basis. They just recently uh, uh, released the uh, Decline of Western Civilization, the Pen- Penelope Spheres oh, movies. I've never seen. Uh, uh, they're they're all really interesting for a variety of reasons, but they they released that with all the special features, and it's really great because uh, that, those movies used to be really hard to find. But and they also just recently uh, put up a collection of Akira Kurosawa movies. There's something like thirty of them that they put oh, up. Wow. It's really amazing. Just these huge collections. Um, and when the streaming service launched. They did a collection called Columbia Noir. So it was all these Columbia films, uh, film noir. 
and or films noir, I guess you would say. And I watched all of them. I was so excited. It was so much fun to, to go, go through those. And so I've started watching these films uh, from Alec Guinness uh, or, or featuring Alec Guinness. And I started with the two David Lean Charles Dickens adaptations, uh, Great Expectations, and Oliver Twist. And I, boy, I've had a great time. I really, I mean, again, sometimes nice. it's nice. I, I'm sure both of you have had this experience. When you have the the pressures, and people might laugh at that a little bit, but it's absolutely the case. If you have the pressures of writing about something or mm. podcasting about something, and then you get the opportunity to watch something where you don't have to explain it to anybody that is just for yourself and just yeah. for fun, it's a real relief. It's just you can kind of lose yourself in a way that it's hard to when you're being a little more analytical yep. or you're trying to keep the details and the name straight, all that sort of thing. So it's I had a really pure great enjoyment time. as opposed to something you love doing because you, like us, probably love watching and talking and writing about entertainment. Absolutely. But it's also it's it's work to an extent, even if you're not getting paid for it. Exactly. It's a different kind of enjoyment, yes. certainly. So I've had a really great time, though I I. I have to mention that uh, <laughs> uh, Oliver Twist, it's a fine adaptation of the Charles Dickens story. And by the way, I know that people come to this podcast for a cultured view on Dickens adaptations. Always. Always. <laughs> but, Always uh, but it does feature um, Alec Guinness wearing some of the most offensive makeup. And, I mean, he's had a career, he had a career, I should say, where he played a lot of people of color and minorities and, yeah. and used makeup for that. And that was one of the things he was known for. And certainly a lot of those, uh, just like his contemporary Peter Sellers, a lot of those performances haven't aged well because right. of that. I guess it was probably very much from be him being so straight from the theater world of, oh, well, you know, when you do Shakespeare, a white man plays Othello. That's what you do if you don't have the right black actor to do it. But it, it, it doesn't age very well. Yeah, well, certainly, right? And I don't think in those cases necessarily it was about having the right actor. It was just they didn't think audiences would accept <laughs> yes. it because of, you know, everyone was racist just like they are now. Um, but um, but Oliver Twist has a uh, famous character um, that, as brought to life in this film, is a kind of horrific Jewish stereotype. Uh, and the makeup that they use is basically you could take it right out of cool. – Nazi propaganda. I mean, it really is horrific to look at. And what year uh, was this? This was actually 1948, so it was the the basically the end of World War II. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, and, and and people were very critical at the time this came out. In fact, it wasn't released in the United States for a number of years because of that. Uh, the the uh, excuse, I guess, if you would call it that, was that the the makeup work was based on the illustrations, uh, the contemporary illustrations mm. of the character uh, during when it was first published. And when you see those those pictures, it does look, you know, the makeup does look a lot like uh, how that was drawn. But guess what? People were very anti-Semitic back then, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's just like so many, you know, older works where you, you watch it with a caveat to some extent. And I, I think that's healthy, sure. by the way. I think it's, it's, it's good to watch things yeah. both from the perspective of, of, of a contemporary audience and also from the time that it was made. But make no bones about it. People knew this <laughs> shit was not okay at the time this came out. <laughs> yeah, there needs to just be a way. I know, like, when Warner Brothers was releasing old Looney Tunes cartoons that had been considered very racist, they would have mm. an introduction. I think Whoopi Goldberg did some of the introductions. Absolutely. Yeah, and like that, I, I respect that. I think that's a great way to do it where, you know, you can say, hey, this this is what we did. We're, we're telling you right now this wasn't right. 
Um, but understand it's part of history and that's why we're still releasing it and haven't buried it in a vault somewhere and burned it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's an interesting, I, I mean, I remember when that, that those came out and it was a really kind of, I think, healthy way of doing yeah. it. I mean, I guess I can certainly see the perspective and certainly uh, speaking as someone who isn't as effective, affected culturally yes. by these kind of horrible yes. acts and horrible presentations. Uh, I'm only saying this from my own perspective, but you know, I, I don't necessarily like the idea of burying these things permanently. Because yes, then we um, forget they happened. Yeah, right? And I mean, th- th- there's certainly, but there's also an element of if you put this out in the public consciousness, what are you saying about Mm-hmm. Um, right about, about this art and yeah. and its its place in current society. But when I think about something like Song of the South, which is I guess is the Disney mm-hmm. uh, one of the Disney uh, uh, big taboo yes. productions, um, I there's a part of me that thinks, hey, you know what? They should have a version like that where they have an intro where someone yeah. explains its place in history and how it, it it came up, you know, and give it kind of it really positions itself. Yep. But then again, there's a part of me that's like, you know what? If there's one person affected by this, yeah. and and they feel like this this should be buried deep, how can I ever say anything Fair. against that? It's not my it's not my place to 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 say that something should be made available simply because I used to sing zippity doo dah when sure. I was a kid. And you take it out of context, and you know. Especially something like that that is a kid's film, so you plop your kids down to watch it. You, you know, you put that movie on all the time, they're not seeing the intro all the time, and they're not understanding it, and so they grow up then making those same stereotypes and all that. It's a, the world is complicated, you know? It's, it, it, you know what it is? And in some ways that's, in mo- most ways I would say, it's actually a really good thing. I know people, ha- they, they rally against the idea of people being very oversensitive. I'm like, you know what? It's really just people whose voices were never listened to before. You're starting to have to listen now to them. Now you have to hear have... them. Sorry yeah. if you don't like it, white man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, look, I'm, I, and I, I know that that's probably my reputation in some circles as well, that I'm oversensitive about things. I'm just like, you know what? Taking an extra minute. Just to make yeah. sure that people are okay and that everyone is is in on something and that 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 no one is being because what you realize as you get older and a little bit more mature and in my case a lot more mature <laughs> uh, you you start to to attempt to see things from others' perspectives and you start to see that some of the yeah that's things... called empathy it's exactly. not called being overly sensitive I, I mean that's that's how I see it and I mean and to me it's like you this empathy is a lifelong journey of development right i mean it's something that you uh, i i understand when people have a views of nostalgia towards things that they thought were okay when they were young and when other people say hey you know what that really wasn't okay you <clears throat> might have that natural instinct to be like don't look hey, i love that and that's not cool for you to say that it's racist or hurtful or sexist or whatever or that revenge of the nerds has like horrible sexist rape undertones to it or <laughs> yeah they're not really undertones <laughs> right i mean you're right it's right there on the surface and it's just like you know you can still like that while understanding that yeah. there's some stuff in it that really isn't cool and it's really offensive to some people and uh and no one is saying that you're a bad person because you used to like that it's just that you have to contextualize yeah, it in think the, about it yeah in the whole life that you lead sure. uh and it, it's kind of amusing that we're we're having what i consider really you know, calm and and, uh, and strong conversation about this, and we're going to talk about Snow White and Jimmy <laughs> <so much. laughs> Don't tease me. We're not there yet. What else have you uh, watched? I know it. <laughs> do you have any other uh, movies or shows you want to tell us about? Well, gosh, I'm sure I do. I mean, uh, I I watch a lot of 
horror movies. Uh, and actually, it's kind of funny. It kind of ties in what we were just saying, right? I mean, I think probably all of us have seen our share of exploitation movies. And I, again, and people are, sometimes have this perspective. It's like, well, how can you enjoy watching yeah. these? I mean, they are exploitation is basically built into the genre that they come from. Yep. And I'm like, again, it's about contextualization. It's about understanding yep. where these movies came from and the motivations that 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 led into. And that's what makes it more interesting. It means that you yep. can dive into it and you can write about it and you can read about it and it becomes this whole experience i mean well, and what's me- funny is as you say that that's one of the reasons i think i don't like true crime or mm. anything that is really really based on real events when it comes to sure. horror because i because i i mean i i've loved the most vicious stuff and i grew up always loving horror movies and always having to defend myself when people say that same thing of what's wrong with you that you watch this rape revenge movie yeah but where and for me the one thing that I can, I can't always reconcile is when it becomes when it becomes real when it is true crime or something when suddenly I do get confused of wait am I taking enjoyment in I'm actually taking enjoyment in somebody's pain so you know somebody died and it was this really interesting Absolutely. way of it happening but I'm being entertained by it if I'm watching an adaptation of it and it's where like for me like that's where one of those lines comes up and I've never gone through anything like this I don't have anybody close to me that has but I always kind of put that in my head of oh geez but what if what if I that was somebody hmm. I knew in the situation and now all of a sudden it changes everything and, and to me that the most terrifying thing would be but then also does it mean that then I can't enjoy other horror movies <laughs> Uh, it's it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Like when I was a teenager and I was just obsessed with horror movies, uh, and it's just a stage that I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this probably went through and probably are still going through sure. to some extent. Um, I, I Even then I couldn't watch collections of like real death footage, oh, like yeah. faces yeah. death. So that stuff is it, it just is way t- and even now to this day it just makes me sick when I Same. watch anything like that and and that even extends and I know that that this might uh, not be the case for a lot of people and I don't I don't want this to be a judgment but when Mondo style footage is in horror movies yeah. uh, whether it be the animal death and cannibal holocaust whether it be the use of real corpses and men behind the sun that sort of thing mm-hmm. I mean to me it's it's like I, I sometimes. Do, I, I feel like I've learned a lot and I've developed my empathy in the watching of films, but sometimes I don't need things that are that real. No, it it intrudes on me psychologically in a way that I don't think is very healthy for me, but everyone makes their own choices. I, I just, the idea of like laughing at the Bud Dwyer suicide footage to me, it's like, I I can't do it. Yeah. To me, that's so horrific. I, I put myself in the, in the shoes of not just him, even though uh, there was a, a lot of complications around that, that, that particular moment, but like people in the room, Sure. Like the people holding the cameras, it just you start to, particularly as you yeah. you gain more experiences in life, you, you start to to really know people who have experienced real trauma, yeah. have experienced real horrific situations, and I you know and the things that maybe you could for through your sense of dark humor find amusing when you were uh, a bit younger and maybe a little more immature. I just can't do it anymore. You yeah, know, and I'm not, with you. not that I don't find dark humor in a lot. Of, a lot of material all the same. You kind of got to in 2019. Yeah, but I want that separation between my entertainment and real life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, with the with the caveat that, that it can intrude in pleasant ways sometimes or interesting ways mm-hmm. or unique ways that, that do work. But I'm, I'm right with you. I, I don't really enjoy true crime podcasts or true crime documentaries in a lot of the cases because um, even when they're not done in an exploitive manner, uh, I, I my heart just goes out to the people yeah. that are involved. Yeah. I don't need it. 
All right. Uh, we've gone a lot of places. Um, so any <laughs> any other movies or such you wanted to mention before I move to Christine? The only other thing is that I, I did mention that I did that podcast project where I watched all yeah. the Coen Brothers movies. Well, upcoming, they are uh, – and this has been the last couple of years. A couple of years ago with that same podcast, we did a project which involved the best horror movies of the 1970s. And then last Ooh. year, we did the 1980s. And this involves – Dozens of recordings with dozens of podcasters where cool. everyone takes – like there will be like collections of people doing each year, breaking that down to top ten lists, taking those top ten lists and combining them and ranking them. It's a real ordeal, and I'm glad I'm not part of the organization of it, but I'm in the process of watching the best horror movies of the 1990s, yeah! which, has, which has led to – because that's kind of my heyday, but it's sure. led to a lot of conversations regarding what is a horror movie because uh, there are movies that, that kind of – toe that line and you get different responses uh, just as in the 1980s we had a lot of hemming and hawing about whether the terminator is a horror movie right, uh, right. while everyone agreed that terminator 2 wasn't most people thought ter- the terminator was it kind and of it, is kind of it's a, it kind, yeah yeah it's got that slasher format sure, it's right a, and, it's a stalker and there's gore so it's just that it, you have a high sci-fi action element to it. Exactly. And if, if that is, then is Predator a horror movie? And if Predator is a horror movie, yeah. then it takes you to different places. Like sure. the one that, that I was kind of bothered by for the 1990s, and not, and I don't have any particular uh, game in this or, or, or any leanings. It's whether The Crow is a horror movie. Uh, a film that is obviously very gothically tinged. It's yeah. a revenge movie. It's not really a slasher movie unless you consider that the hero in it is uh, kind uh, of. A sl- and I mean, because we covered it. I guess it was last year, Christine. I think so. Yeah. And it's it's gory. I mean, you get some intense death scenes in it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a violent movie, yeah. uh, and, and I mean, there are moments in it that are meant to be both unnerving, if not a little bit scary, yeah. uh, and I mean, it, it, it kind of, then you start walking that line, is it a action uh, movie that happens to have scary moments in it, uh, or is it a horror movie that also serves as this other genre? It, I mean, it, it, you ask a lot of questions that, in the grand scheme, are not important at all, but it is <laughs> going to be. But they're very, they're fascinating questions because there's no easy answer, but there's a bunch of different reasons for giving an answer. Exactly. I mean, Silence of the Lambs has that same problem, right? To some extent, right? And that's that's kind of the the impetus for all of these conversations because you know the, the use of the word thriller instead of horror movie, <laughs> and whether say Cape yeah. Fear is a horror movie, the the Scorsese version uh, compared to you know, a slasher movie, the time period, or if uh, the fact that I decided to put naked lunch on my list, Mm. are people going to balk at that? Is David Cronenberg's crash a horror movie? Probably not. Right. But naked lunch probably is. I don't know. Yeah. You have to be very strict about what is your definition of horror. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But of course, when it all comes down to a list that people can see, uh, the questions are going to be, where is that? And why the fuck is that on it? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. That's a good. I mean, the '90s are are a fun one for that because there's, you know, for so long, and this happens in every decade. While you're in the decade, you say, "Oh, this decade sucks. Nobody's going to remember the '90s." And now we're 20 years out of the '90s, looking back and saying, "Hey, wait, there were some really interesting things cinematically going on in the '90s." And and yeah, I mean that that's I'm I will listen to that because I'm I think there's a lot there that's that is arguable and fresh and all that. So cool. I think I think people who live through it they kind of forget that when scream came out it was like a massive oh, yeah. cultural shift in regards to everything horror. yeah 100 percent. i mean whether you like that movie or not it's hard to deny the impact because oh, yeah. if you look at those years year by year and the theatrical horror movies that are coming out 
Scream comes out, and then so much of what came out behavior. I know what you did last summer. Yeah, yeah. There's just lots of it, right? Yeah, and Uh, and I mean, most not good. mm. Here and there are some real gems. Exactly, and of course, if you if you uh, stray away from mainstream Hollywood horror, there's still lots of amazing, very unique and original material coming out, especially internationally around that time period. But you know, I think when people people think back to the late 90s period, you either have that view that horror was terrible because some of it, so much of it was very mainstream and had a lot of really you know attractive actors just being killed in not very interesting ways, or you know you might have a larger view of of the trends that were going on all sure. over the world. Yeah. Um, can you give us any kind of preview of what like your top movie was? Well, I mean, at this point, we are only kind of breaking into years, and the years that I. I, I'm a part of our 1991 and 1994. 1994 is an interesting year because that was a year of mainstream horror that was trying to throw back to the Universal monster movies. So there are movies like uh, Kenneth Branagh's version of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. There's Wolf, the Jack Nicholson yeah, uh, yeah. werewolf movie. There's Interview with a Vampire that came out that year. So very kind of mainstream, gothic yes, uh, uh horror that you know, has not necessarily in all cases aged very well, but the, what, what that's such a loaded word anyway, about or term sure. aging. Well, because again, if you lived through it, your view of what ages well might be a little different than if you're just viewing it from someone say he was born in 1990 or, or 2000 and are like, well, I mean, that looks like garbage. What are you talking about? It's like, like man, I really, yeah, I thought we that saw the great. development of that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, if you watch a movie like the spawn <laughs> movie from oh, 1997, yeah. right. Things that really have aged terribly in a lot of ways. Uh, by the way, that that's also a conversation. Is Spawn a horror movie? If The Crow is a horror movie, is Spawn, Spawn a horror movie? Be, yeah. He comes from hell. Uh, so it's uh, uh, what I'm really trying to say, and I think it's really come across in this conversation, is that it's just a big mess and nobody will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, be sure to tell us on our Facebook page or Twitter when that episode drops. I, will do. I want to hear if, it. My reputation is that I am never hesitant to self-promote. <laughs> good, good. When it's warranted or when we like you, that's a very good thing. <laughs> All right, uh, Christine, we recorded not that long ago, but did you watch anything of interest during that time? I did. It's a good thing that we recorded because it really cut my list down. I didn't I didn't really <laughs> watch here. much. My mom was in town Yay. for a couple days and that really s- slowed the ingestion of um of films but um some weird ones some some kind of random weird ones um decided to watch Firestarter um oh, a movie that I don't know when, that I've when I was seen. a little girl I I was also blonde and I was always hot so they used to call me Firestarter as, as a nickname <laughs> like you were always warm yeah like I was like I had to sleep with a fan on <laughs> oh, it's like a little chubby oh, kid I was always hot I was always sweating thing. yeah so my nickname Look, was I get it. Um, uh, uh, I don't know that I had ever seen this movie. Um, like, I definitely hadn't seen it all the way through. Uh, I mean, uh, have you seen it recently? Either one of you? A couple of years ago, I watched it. It's it's strange because it it just kind of goes that a lot of places. Ending is bananas. Uh, yeah, and that, George C. Scott is there. Right? You're you're there for that end. I oh, oh boy oh boy um there's some interesting choices in this movie but like it goes buck wild at the end and the fire stunts are really great and if that's what you're in it for if you're in it for the fire starting you really you really get a good payoff nice 
So, so uh, that was not streaming anywhere, I don't think. I think we rented that. Um, so are you familiar with the movie, uh, I believe it's Seventh Sign, the Demi <gasps> Moore movie? Yeah, I remember watching that on video shortly after it came to our video store. I, for some reason, as a child, was obsessed with it. <laughs> uh, it was one of my favorite mo- favorite movies at one point. I don't know what that says about me. Well, that was like um, I feel like that I was yours, and mine was the first power was like my equivalent of that. <laughs> it, it's it's so weird. Like, why did we like these movies so much? Um, but so I hadn't seen it as an adult and Zach had never seen it. Um, there are a lot of boring parts of this movie. You know what? The whole thing might be boring, but I loved it. (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's just so weird to be like, I'm nostalgic for this movie about (laughs) there being no souls left and the apocalypse coming and stuff. I don't know. Um, I, I like that movie though. I'd be curious if anybody else has a strange relationship to it like I do. I kind of want to rewatch uh, it now. Uh, you should watch it. I think we rented that one too. I don't think that was streaming anywhere. Um, did I talk about Detective Pikachu already? You did. I probably you said you liked did. it a lot. <laughs> um, my mom was in town, so um, streaming on Shudder. I believe it was Shudder. We watched Ghost Watch again, which I've already talked about on this show. You said it's um, very good, right? Oh, I love it okay i had forgotten about that and didn't know if it's on shutter because i haven't seen it so i do want to add it now. almost positive it's on shutter okay yeah zach's nodding at me it's it's on shutter um it's a real great watch cool um my mom liked it a lot too she said it really disturbed her oh yay (laughs) mission Christine's mom um also on shutter um there is a made for tv movie called uh the haunted which is about a haunting and is this the one the, that the, has female ghost rape yes okay i remember watching this as a kid so and this movie i don't think it was good but it was fascinating and the warrens are in it like lorraine and, oh and, yeah you know patrick wilson and, Patrick Wilson um, of your Formiga. And <laughs> <laughs> they're in it very young. Um, but th- that's just interesting to see like that those people or are are representations of what yeah. we think those people are and were show up so early because I think this was like ninety one yep. or something. Um, it's just interesting. It's like it's it's a it's a progenitor, I think, of a lot of stuff that happen is happening now, like say in the Conjuring universe, mm. um, without without the female, the male, on male rape, right. which was just a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, I just always remember that know. because it was. I, I had to be probably like nine when I saw that, and I remember thinking it's like, "This is a lot." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what yeah. to make of this, and my parents aren't explaining it because, of course, we've all watched this together because that's what my family did with horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! It was yeah. So that's on Shutter too. If you, if, I'm curious, if you I might give it a go out of curiosity. Like yeah, taking a look at it. Um, then I we saw the new Men in Black movie in the theater. What did you think? I was. Look, what'd you think? I, I'm pretty heartbroken. Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was rooting for it. It might be even worse than the second one, which you know I don't like. As soon as I started reading about 
just how poorly it received it was, I got so sad because I wanted it to be good for you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I was so hopeful. I mean, there's the there's some there's some funny parts in it, and Tessa Thompson's really great, and but like it's it's unbelievably boring. Wow. Like it's so boring. I almost fell asleep in the theater. Oh, that makes me sad for you. But thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but like what whatever. It's it's sad. Um, I but I'll go see any movie with the two of them in it. Yeah. So so yeah, that's my that's my sad roundup of, of bizarre movies. Okay. Um, I think my list is a little happier. It's also very small. <laughs> so even though you said you didn't like this, and I had it on my queue, and I was like, I'm just curious. I can't not watch this cast. Um, so I watched Widows because that cast oh, yeah. is ridiculous. It, it's yeah. better than Men in Black. Oh, but it's still not very good. Yeah. It's it's just so frustrating when you watch a movie that has so many things going for it. Because you have Violet Davis. You have Michelle Rodriguez. You have Daniel Kaluuya. Like, you have all of these great people. You have Steve McQueen directing. You have Gillian Flynn writing. They're, it's a heist movie. Mm-hmm. And yet, I, I think it's just that they tried too much. You don't need that whole storyline with Colin Farrell as a... Um, politician like could have taken that entire thing out and just made it a heist a a 90 minute heist movie about these three widows dealing with this and it would have been fun but it's just so sluggish and i just got mad like i didn't like watching it and then after it was over the more i think about it the more angry i am at it because i just feel like it just took so much potential and just wasted it and that makes me angry um, I, I, I agree. That's kind of, that was kind of my feeling. Yeah. Um, I took your advice on a movie that was on Hulu and I watched The Oath, mm-hmm. Ike Barinholtz's mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. I enjoyed it. I think I got a little too excited at one point because I thought it was going to be bigger than it was. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those movies that like, it has no, this great concept. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And like, you think at some point like, oh, this is like kind of a... A purge movie. Like, you think you're getting purge anarchy at one point, but really you're just getting the first purge. Not the first purge. That was the yep. prequel, but the first movie of the purge, which is called <laughs> The Purge. Just want to be very straight. It gets very confusing. I enjoyed it. It was I funny. think they made that complex on purpose. They might have. And I always I feel bad for people that have those movies and line up movies alphabetically, because then... Like, you have to shuffle things around, because technically Purge election year should come after... Oh, wait, no, they actually all line up, don't they? The first Purge, the Purge, Purge Anarchy, Purge election year. Damn it, they were smart. They actually did it alphabetically. Anyway, um, I liked The Oath. (laughs) I didn't love it, but I liked it. Uh, Two other movies I want to mention. Um, Have either of you seen the 2006 remake of The Poseidon Adventure? The one with Kurt Russell in it? Yes. I I remember seeing it when it came out, but 2006 was a long time ago. You know, it was such a long time ago that you watch a movie like this that is a big budget, clearly made for broad audiences, but it was made 13 years ago. Mm. And it's fascinating to watch this movie and think how differently it would have been made today. Um, (laughs) It's... It's terrible, but fascinating. The effects are great. I will say the boat stuff actually looks really good. Um, The cast of this movie is 
you you look at the cast on paper and then you look at like who the survivors are and then you look at like okay here's the group of survivors that we're following and then here are the ones who live in the end so if the movie's about let's say you have maybe 10 to 12 major players in your movie including andre brower and fergie um (laughs) oh you just sold me yeah but then you're going to cut the group down a little bit to your main group. So um, Andre Brower goes, Freddie Rodriguez from Six Feet Under is there, and then he's the first one to die. <laughs> and then you're going to cut it down to your survivors. Guess what all the people surviving this movie had in common? What? They were all really, really white. <laughs> this wow, movie. I don't know why I couldn't get that. It, it is shocking. Because everybody, it's Josh Lucas, who looks, who I just keep calling not Aaron Eckhart, because I think he kind of looks like Aaron Eckhart. Um, it is Kurt Russell, it's Emmy Rossum, Mike Vogel, who's the whitest guy you've ever, he makes Paul Walker look, like, ethnic. Um, there's uh, one of the, the actress from the real world and her son, and it's just all these awful rich people, who are all awful. And, oh, and Richard Dreyfus is there. And here's the best <laughs> thing about this. So the very first thing, the the um the first you cut your your group down, so you have your main group, and they're all white except for Freddie Rodriguez and um this one other woman, who's also kind of Latina maybe, and the first like big case of danger happens, and Freddie Rodriguez kindly say, like helps uh, Richard Dreyfuss is like you go first, I'll help you, so he helps lift Richard Dreyfuss up. Suddenly there's a big tidal wave, all this stuff. And uh, you have Richard Dreyfuss hanging on to Josh Lucas's hand. Freddy Rodriguez is holding on to Richard Dreyfuss's leg. Clearly, <laughs> they can't all make it. And Josh Lucas screams at Richard Dreyfuss, kick him off, kick him off. <laughs> <gasps> this man who has just basically saved Richard Dreyfuss's life by helping him in this situation. Richard Dreyfuss in tears looks down and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And motherfucking kicks him off. <laughs> Freddie Rodriguez plunges and gets impaled by a metal shard somewhere. Oh, my goodness. It gets better. Because do you want to know what Richard Dreyfus was doing right before Poseidon went down? What? He was standing on the hull of the ship about <laughs> to kill himself. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, but then, as so often is the case, a tidal wave comes. He flips out, runs inside, then decides he wants to live at the cost of anyone in his way. Yep. And guys, as, Richard Dreyfus and Josh Lucas both survive. They live in this movie. It is Emily. insane. Emily. Doug. I don't know if you recall. So you might remember that that movie was just called Poseidon. It, it wasn't is just called... called Poseidon. Yes, they don't need an adventure. There's nothing adventurous about this. The reason I believe it was called Poseidon and not the Poseidon Adventure is because the year before, in 2005, they made a TV movie <gasps> version right. of the Poseidon Adventure. And I'm just going to read out the, the top six names in the cast. Very interesting if you want to talk about white guys. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Roberts. Uh, we start no. We start with Adam Baldwin, uh, oh, wow. yep. notorious racist and piece of garbage. Yes. Um, Rucker Hauer, nice. Uh, who, who, not a piece of garbage, no, as far as I know. But very but, white. Uh, <laughs> Steve Gutenberg. Oh Jesus. <laughs> followed by Brian Brown from the <gasps> FX movies and Tom Cruise's Cocktail. Uh, we love Brian Brown. Followed by C. Thomas Howell, a, a reunion oh between God. Rucker Hauer and C. Thomas Howell from The Hitcher. Uh, and, I, and we clue up with RoboCop himself, Peter, Peter Weller. Weller. 
My God, that is a white cast. Jeez. I think Married with Clickers might have... I know they did both of the Poseidons. I don't know if they did the TV series. They might have. Uh, I I need to find that, too. It's what, what an interesting fate of a of a movie franchise, of unrelated installments in a movie franchise. And that one is from the director of Atlas Shrugged 2, The Strike. Oh, well, that makes all that makes all the sense. <laughs> there you go. Okay, it's all fitting together. Who knew that, like, Poseidon was actually, like, coded, like, white supremacy? <laughs> uh, everyone knew that. Apparently. There's that whole thing where, like, any disaster movie is just patriarchal bullshit. Of, like, yeah. how is White Dad going to save us? Oh, yeah, and White Dad does. Like, literally, because Kurt Russell Thanks. is Emmy Rossum's dad, and he plays Shelley Winters See? in this movie. He gets the Shelley Winters scene. Admittedly, my understanding is that Kurt Russell is daddy. I, I believe so. I mean, oh. we've seen him as Christmas daddy, so, yeah. <laughs> I-, I was just going to say, he's Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so Poseidon is weird. You guys should all watch it. It's on Hulu now. It's not good, but it oh, okay. is kind of jaw-dropping in some of the decisions it makes, because you just think to yourself, if they made this today, I think that somebody would be smart enough to say, hey, can we throw an Asian and a black person in here now? It's it's very strange. Um, and then the last movie I want to mention, because um, it's going to be a good segue into Snow White and our fairy tale talk. Because Christine and I talked about a lot of fairy tale related movies on our last episode, and it brought up a movie that I is dear and near to my heart. And um, we're sitting down to have dinner, and I say to my husband, "Do you, do you want to watch a movie?" He says, "Yes." I'm like, "Do you want want something light or heavy?" He says, "Light." I'm like, "Okay, let's watch Ever After." So, finally, <laughs> I got my husband to watch Ever After, and my fucking and god, he, I love this movie. He loved it. He did. Yeah. No, he did really enjoy it. Like, he was chuckling. And I would keep, like, in, like, my favorite scenes, I'd kind of, like, look over and make sure he was smiling. And he was. So I can stay married to him, which is good. Uh, Doug, have you seen Ever After? You know what? I don't think that I have. And it makes me feel like I don't have a proper uh, uh, foundation for the conversation we're about to have. But I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do my best to still talk about Snow White a Deadly Summer without having seen Ever After. I I think at that point in my life, I was probably only watching terrible horror movies, and I probably just skimmed over it. Hey, it's just one of those things I'll have to return back to. Sure. You you are going to. to, Because it is just a delight. And if you have, like, nieces or somebody in your life who's like a, you know, teenage girl. That sounds weird, I know, but (laughs) follow me on my logic. It is such a, like... The way I I always kind of ripped on the Twilight movies, not because they're terrible, which they are, but because I think they send terrible messages to young women. Um, They're all about being like just kind of being nothing, but somebody will love you even if you don't um, put any effort into life at all. And you can be terrible to everyone around you and it's okay as long as this one person, because this one person is there for you. And I just think, I think Bella Swan has no agency. I don't think she is, you know, she doesn't actually do anything. Um, So as a flip of that, I get really excited by movies aimed at young women that are empowering. And I think Ever After is so sweet and is about a strong, wonderful young woman who uh, takes care of people around her. And it's funny and it's sweet. And Angelica Houston is the biggest bitch you've ever seen. And she's glorious. And I invite everybody to make your life better by watching Ever After if you have not. (laughs) yeah i think that movie especially when it came out kind of got a a bad rap not that there's anything wrong with being geared at women but like in true chick flick which i hate fashion people were like oh 
I don't have a vagina. This isn't for me. Like, it's still a good movie, though. Yeah. So, oh. and, and the male characters so in the down. movie are, are great. Like, the, yeah. the, they're interesting. They're Leonardo Da Vinci plays the fairy godmother, basically. Um, the, the king is funny. The prince has a journey. Like, the prince actually, in all of these movies, typically the prince does nothing. And in this case, he is... A, like he goes from point A to point B and it's because of this woman who opens his eyes and we see him growing and it's just a lovely movie and sweet and charming and corny as hell and earnest as hell. But if you are ever in the mood for it, it is just an absolute delight. So, and I was glad that it held up and that it held up to somebody who had never seen it before. So make your life better. Find a teenage girl and make her watch ever after. I'm going to do it. I'm going to find one tomorrow. Yes. And I'm going to tell them that it was on your recommendation. Absolutely. <laughs> I will be there at the trial. Don't you worry. All right. So now that we're properly warmed up, we're going to take a quick break because I think we all need to um, get blowouts that are going to last for like two weeks and make sure our hair looks great while we're camping in the wilderness. <laughs> because we have to talk about Snow White, a deadly summer. The summer wind came blowing in from across the sea It lingered there to touch your hair and walk with me All summer long we sang a song and then we strolled that golden sand Two sweethearts And the summer wind So, Snow White, A Deadly Summer, directed by David Dakota, um, who, Doug, I would like you to talk about. I want to say a quick thing about the writer. Barbara Kimlicka? Is that her real name? Her, her her screen name on IMDb is K-Y-M-L-I-C-K-A, which is Kim Licka. So Barbara Kim Licka is a prolific writer, if you will. Um, a couple of movies that have been covered here, because she's done a lot of Christmas movies, including Falling for Christmas, which is the ice skating one, and Christmas in the City, which, Christine, I think you also watched with me. Um, but some of her other titles mm-hmm. include Tiny House of Terror, which I watched recently, Um Sugar Ooh, Daddies. Good. Tiny House of Terror was not good. No. But <laughs> no. I still watch it. It was on Lifetime. Um, so she has made a movie called Sugar Daddies. She has made a movie called Double Daddy. And she has made a movie called Double Ooh. Mommy. Also, A Bride's Revenge. And my favorite title that I think we might need to cover one day, Identity Theft of a Cheerleader. Oh, my. I have a lot of questions about the Double Daddy and Double Mommy thing. Um, I think they might apply to this movie as well. Um, so that is the writer. Now, um, Doug, I feel like you know David Dakota a little better than we do. I, I want to hear, tell us a little bit, if you will, about your experiences with him. Oh, yeah. He and I are good buddies. Um, summer, it's funny. Summer at his house, I'm sure. <laughs> the, the, the house, you mean? We'll talk about that house. 
Um, David Dakota is probably best known to listeners of this show outside of the fact that he covers a lot. He directs a lot of Lifetime Network uh, films. Yeah. If you're a fan of genre cinema, you're probably most familiar f- with his work from the 80s. Things like Creepazoids and Sorority Babes at the Slimeball Bolorama and Nightmare Sisters. A lot of Scream Queen based horror kind of, you know, kind of campy horror cinema. And then in the 1990s, he worked uh, working with Charles Band and made a few movies for Full Moon, uh, you know, still in the horror vein. But what he is best known for in, uh, say, the last 15 years or so is being basically the director version of Eric Roberts. He just makes mm-hmm. tons and tons and tons of movies, and they fit into different categories. One of the things he's best known for is making gay-themed horror movies. Uh, he has a whole series of them, and uh, the gay themes in his work, I think, are actually really interesting uh, and very overt and very on the surface. Uh, I uh, would strongly recommend that if you have not heard of it, that you check out, and I can't remember if it's... Um, the order <laughs> that this goes in. Wait, I'm going to make sure that I don't I don't screw it up. It is. He's made a lot of movies, so it's not easy to pull that list up. Bigfoot versus DB Cooper. Jeez, 154 directing credits. Yeah. So, uh, Bigfoot versus DB Cooper it actually does feature both Linnea Quigley, uh, or the voice of, and Eric Roberts, the voice of. And it is one of the most unique movies that you will ever see. Yeah. Uh, at about 80% of the runtime involves young men in their underwear just looking in a mirror and posing <laughs> with a gun. Like, I'm, it, it's a, it, it has some sort of fetish element to it that it, you would not be able to tell necessarily from that title. It's a really interesting, if difficult to watch sometimes, not because of those elements, just because it's so boring. Uh <laughs> So he, he has a lot of horror movies. He does a lot of Lifetime movies. A lot of movies with the word wrong in the title. I count oh, 13. So that's that's a thing that's going on with Lifetime right now where they have basically series of movies that have like similar yes. words. In. Yeah, yeah. Because Eric Roberts, he's a part of a series called The Stock by My Doctor yeah, oh. film. Oh, yes. Believe me. I know. <laughs> And and those films, I think, have been very uh, well-received yes. for the Lifetime Network. But I, I think it also is kind of sent a message. It's like people want to see basically variations on these themes. Yes, and, stalked and by see, my neighbor, stalked by my dentist. Yeah. I mean, just looking at his filmography, right? I mean, you see it. It's, it there's oh, yeah. five different wrong movies, all in various uh, – uh, I mean, all set to be released in 2019. I mean, just five. <laughs> and that's not even including his other movies, including My Mother Stalker, again – obviously influenced by Stock by My Doctor. But the other category that he's known for is family movies, and that includes uh, such favorites as A Talking Cat, uh, A Halloween Dog. I mean, he makes a lot of movies that... Mm, Those sound uh, really good. (laughs) A Talking Cat is notorious because Eric Roberts does the voice of The Talking Cat and recorded it in his (laughs) own bathroom, uh, something that was confirmed to us when we interviewed him in person. Uh, So these are movies that have very similar... Production values have a lot of the same locations, have a lot of the same cast, usually has one or two recognizable faces, uh, sometimes from cult cinema. He does like to cast a lot of kind of uh, older actors that you might not necessarily see, which is kind of nice, um, it, that have had some sort of cult film or horror film background. And uh, But, and I'm saying this as someone who has seen at this point 13 of the 14 collaborations that David Dakota has done with Eric Roberts, <laughs> 14, um, these movies are really, really bad. A lot. <laughs> Except a lot. for Snow White, A Deadly Summer. 
I'm not trying to mince words. Like I, I just want to make it as clear as possible <laughs> that these movies are are usually like just god awful for a variety of reasons. Probably the biggest one being that they are shot so quickly, just using what they have available. And again, we're going to talk about it in a moment. There's a house that appears in a lot of the David Dakota movies of the last uh, 10 years or so. And you see it pop up again and again and again. It's a very unique house. And he has maybe probably made 15 movies in this one location. Uh, there's a rumor that it was actually uh, burned down in the fires in oh. uh, 2018. Don't know if that's been confirmed or not. But I guess we, I haven't seen it in his recent Lifetime movies, which makes me a little concerned. Uh -huh. But uh, – you can have a lot of respect. Just like, I mean, again, I have, have a perspective on David Dakota just like I do with Eric Roberts, which is that I respect the work ethic sure. while the work itself can be a little more difficult to love sometimes. <laughs> Except for Snow White, A Deadly Except, Summer. It's the exception that proves the rule. Now, uh, we're going to spoil this movie, people, because we can't not talk about its wild oh, and wacky twists I'm so and glad turns. you said that. Uh, I'll, so, I was going to ask. Oh, yes. No, no, no. There's no way we're not going there um, because of this. And because this isn't the easiest movie to find. I think you probably have to like go to a video store and rent it. Uh, Christine, I ask you to give us a synopsis. Uh, um, <sighs> so it. there's this girl. Her name is Snow for some reason. <laughs> for and no reason. For no reason at all. For no reason. Her mom's dead, and you think it's going to come up as, like, a plot point, like, how and why and all that stuff, but it never really does. But her mom's dead, and her dad is Eric Roberts, and her stepmom is Maureen McCormick. And they're like, you shouldn't have gotten, you shouldn't have been with that guy that stole that car. I mean, her mom's dead, but whatever. They're kind of hard on her. And they're like, like we're going to send you away to a, a murder camp. <laughs> and she's like, but I don't. I don't want to go to a murder camp. And they're like, well, do you like Day for Night? Because you're going <laughs> to love this murder camp. <laughs> so then, and anyways, she gets kidnapped during the day night and dragged out of her house and brought to this weird camp where there are all these other teenagers at this camp. And they all have to stay outside all the time until you realize there was always an inside that they could go into, but they never did. And then also there's this hermit lady in the woods. And spoiler, this was all a dream, kind of. And that doesn't help you make any more sense of it. I think... Yes! Um, it, it totally. I mean, sorry. I, I just want to bring it up right from the top that this movie basically steals the ending of the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari and just puts <laughs> it in there straight up. And you're supposed to be like, "Oh, that's cool." Not what are you Wait, fucking what? doing here? But then, and it doesn't even make sense. It's like, oh, it was all a dream, and then it's it's weird and off-putting. Like this boy you never met came and has sat been by stalking you in the mental you hospital. Tried to kill yourself. Yeah, and then he's in there, and then, then, but all of a sudden, Maureen McCormick, they do the reveal that Maureen McCormick left Eric Roberts, but also jumped off a building. Wait. <laughs> yes, so Eric Roberts breaks it down oh. to his, his step, his daughter, to say, because she's like, well, what about Eve, which is, of, the, of course, the mother, and the line is, <laughs> Eric Roberts says to her in one take, clearly, Eve's gone. She left. <laughs> she took, this is the way he says it. She left. And you're like, oh, she left him. Probably because of the dark. Yeah. She took her own life. She jumped off a building. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, mm-hmm. As if 
to say like, yeah, this is all true. And this is like two days ago. I don't know. (laughs) Yes. At max, it was like three days. Max, it was three days. Yes. That's how I would, that's definitely how I think most people um, react if their partner jumps off a building. Two days later, they're like, yep, she left. Just jumped off that building and out of my life. You know, astute listeners listeners might be curious about the fact that the story that we're telling uh, doesn't seem to resemble very closely the classic fairy tale version of Snow White that we might all be familiar with. But uh, I let me reassure you, listeners, that uh, a woman does talk into a mirror and someone eats an apple. So it's basically yes. the same story. Well, and I think there are seven it's campers, right? Which is supposed yeah. to be that there are seven dwarves. <gasps> Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> hey, man, I graduated cum loud from college. I'll have you know. I... Whoa. Are they? Whoa. Are they supposed to symbolize the different dwarves? Because they don't. Well, there's well, they... sexy, sleepy, um, crazy. No, I don't think they don't need to. Journalism, uh, journalism. Yeah, secret reporter that should leave but doesn't. Oh God. Okay. Um. Yeah, guys. I don't know how you didn't love this movie. This movie is only like eighty minutes long. It took me three. It felt like seven hours. This no. no okay. This movie should have been like me going to work one day and maybe. Uh, maybe 10 minutes on the subway coming home watching, but it took me three of those trips because I had to pause it so many times to take notes and laugh. I'm a, I, I've already this said this. This movie has such weird pacing. Oh my god, it does. I, I said this to you before we started recording. I'm just going to say it again, which is that this is probably in the top two or three Eric Roberts, David Dakota movies. Um, by, and, and I mean, I'm talking by leaps and bounds. At least this movie actually has a plot with a beginning, middle, and An twist. End? End. Uh, and, and the performances are... And I, I mean, we'll talk about this. Yeah. I'm going to say it. I'm just... I, this might be a controversial opinion on this podcast at the moment. I think most of the performances are perfectly serviceable in I this thought movie. they... No, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I think the guy who runs this discipline camp where everyone's got to sleep on the ground every day in their clothes for some reason, I think that guy's actually pretty good. Uh, I thought I was surprised at how well he did considering his part is ludicrous it's and illegal. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. I think because I was curious after I watched it, I was going through the cast and like they all have pictures for the most part on their yeah. IMDb profiles because they're all real actors. And even like the lead actress who plays Snow – like I mean, she's doing what she can with what she has. Like the the acting. Is... I really liked her. Yeah, and she has yeah, like, a real career. Yeah, she was in Detention. That movie, Detention. If for anyone who likes that movie, I'm not one of those people, but you know, she's legit and has been in. Yeah, like, like is a real actor. You often get that again. There's a movie called uh, it. So so remember a few years ago there was a Hansel and Gretel movie uh that came out with jeremy renner and we just like talked a... about how much we loved it yes right i, I have not seen it but it's david dakota or, con- uh, coincidentally he also released a hansel incredible movie right around that same time which t- took place oh, at a what a surprise <laughs> took place at a high school Crazy uh and it was basically like the twilight movies except eric roberts was there um <laughs> and it is but it, it featured two a brother and si- sister actors who I guess were in one of the Twilight movies. I, I haven't seen those either. Apparently I don't really watch movies. But anyway, they usually like the lead <laughs> they have someone who's had enough experience that they can kind of carry the emotional mm, load smart. 
<laughs> which is a good thing. But even like the supporting players here, I thought that they were all, you know, considering again, considering <laughs> what they're working with. What they're working with and what they had to do and what they were asked to do, I think they everyone is really trying hard here, except maybe Eric Roberts. <laughs> well, oh, here's my first question about Eric Roberts in this movie. Um, did did he like lose a lot is of weight? Okay? Why is that suit so big on him? I it was a very I, I he's this was a few years back. He's fine. I I mean again I've seen him since this. <laughs> uh, I think it was a very ill-fitting suit, it's and it very, did not look yeah. good on his frame. He not... seemed unwell. Mm-hmm. Well, that is another thing. Boy, um, you, you he Eric Roberts has had a difficult life, mm-hmm. so sometimes mm-hmm. one of the things he's known for is that he kind of is a little slurry uh, when mm. he's speaking, and that's something that you can really, especially if he's having to shoot things very quickly or a lot of vocal work, it can kind of come through. And you, I get comments all the time. It's like, was Eric drunk when he was making this? He was high for sure. 100%. He's high all the time. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I get a little if irritated on hearing that simply because sure. he's been speaking that way for pretty much the last 20 years. But um, he, he did certainly seem a little distracted at times in this movie. Yeah, well, it's, it's gaunt, like Emily said. Yeah, I think it's just because of the suit. You I know, was, I mean, I that's the worried. thing about men in suits, is that if if you're a man, you're wearing a suit, that suit's got to fit. If you want to look yeah, good, you got to have a good fit. If the suit's too big on you, oh. you look, you just don't look right. That's what Emily's always saying. <laughs> that is your fashion tip of the week from the Feminine Critique. <laughs> um, now, but on the same the same note, Maureen McCormack, poor poor dear, doesn't even get to change. She's wearing the same outfit on different days in this movie. Oh, if you think that that this that performance was shot in more than one or two days, <laughs> <laughs> but like, couldn't they just have her? I don't know, put a smock on or something to make it look different. At, no, oh well, at one point she had a jacket on. She had like a black jacket on, and that was her next day outfit. Or. <sighs> out of her woods outfit flashback so let's talk about the the, her character in general so eve is is evil and and talks to herself in a mirror well evil that's why she's named eve i get it now so okay my question when we meet lila the um the woods hermit who was once a member of camp and who knew now here's here's the best part of this so lila as in lullaby which is not a thing Nobody Which named, makes no sense. Nobody named Lila was named after a lullaby. But so Lila says she went to summer camp with Maureen McCormack, and here's a picture of them in summer camp from 1987. Now, Maureen McCormack looks very good for her age, but I am pretty sure that in 1987, Maureen McCormack was probably like 37 years old. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, I summer camp? Eileen Dietz. Wonderful actress, obviously. People probably best known her know her from. Well, I mean, she she has a lot of credits, yeah, but lot. I believe she was uh, the the face in The Exorcist is the thing that she's Pazuzu's ah, face that you see yeah, in kind of yeah. shots. Um, she was born in 1944, um, so she would have been like in her 40s in, in that time period. Uh, it's it's unless this movie is supposed to take place well into the past. Which, uh, no, I think there's a, at least a few things that would suggest that that isn't the case. Um, it's a little hard to swallow. A little bit. Um, and I was really hoping when they found the picture that they would show it and that it would be a picture of Marsha Brady. <laughs> I was very I disappointed it's when like it was like they done. have young they have young images of her. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the other – so I have a, a dangling plot thread question. 
was Hunter? Because I really thought we were going to discover that Hunter was also, because they kind of say Hunter was also at the camp. So I thought, oh, was he the guy that she was in love with and that she killed the girl that um, made the moves on him? But no, that's just never even a thing. Yeah, so just to explain it to, to the listeners, Hunter is the person who runs this again. It's Murder it's, camp, to, as it's a discipline it. camp, so it's basically a, a camp for um, wayward youth. teenagers who are yeah, that's right, who are who are on the wrong path. Let's say again, taken in the middle of the quote unquote night by people in black clothes to be brought to this camp where they uh, are fed sandwiches and where, have which, to sleep on the ground. Where only two people work. Yeah, ex- and like it's supposed to be inescapable, even though you can just walk in any direction and, <laughs> and you eventually just... hit a highway. <laughs> so, and by the way, there are two employees. There are two employees. <laughs> um, there, there are so many things I love about this camp. So you have um, a uniform, and it's very—it's like this is a uniform. I don't want oh, you to wear anything else. No. And the u- uniform is supposed to be jeans and a black t-shirt, unless you're a busty girl, and then you get to wear a tank top. Apparently, <laughs> right. <laughs> And meanwhile, a cop had the same uniform. He did! I wrote that note down! I'm so glad you said that! Yeah, they call a sheriff at one point because a child is dead. (laughs) And he shows up dressed like the campers. And and he says my favorite line of the movie. He's wearing what they are wearing. Completely. And and when Hunter says to the. basically says, like, yeah, no, it's a shame. The kid, you know, is dead now. And the sheriff says to the adult in charge of wayward youth at his camp, it's not your fault. Kids do stupid things. Yeah, but weren't you? It's not your fault. You're, you're running a camp for them. Of course it's your fault. It's it's so strange when Snow White um, gets to the camp for the first time and the guy's basically breaking down the rules. He's like, you got to call me like Mr. or whatever, sir. Right. And you know, you, you never speak without being spoken to. And he says right to her, he's like, and if you don't do it, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. I mean, he says it basically. He's just like, I'm going to beat you up. Now I get that, uh, that I guess that threat is supposed to be something that just hangs over them. And he doesn't actually, if my memory serves me, uh, beat up anybody in the camp, but you know, the discipline that he shows for the rest of the movie is very basically, you know, if someone talks back, he makes them all do push-ups or right. jumping jacks or whatever. Uh, it's just, it, it, I it's gotta really give run him, like a fat camp. Basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If, They're I, just I working give out the entire credit. time. The fact that he had this idea of doing this, uh, this camp without having like cabins, without <laughs> having really any indoor Insurance locations. Insurance Even, even having lights to allow him to shoot at any time after 7 p.m. at night. I mean, you got to give him credit. He he decided to really push what your brain would think would be capable. And you know what? What's great is that anything you're like, hey, that doesn't make sense. What about this? What about this? It was all a dream anyway. Exactly. Well, for example, there's so one of the girls who is there at camp, um, we see her on the first night taking out a tape recorder and talking into it. And Snow is like, what's that? And the chief says, they confiscated my journal. <laughs> Yep. Now the yep. next day, we see another girl take out a flask and drink from it. And you think to yourself, so they took away your journal, but they let her keep her flask. And then the next night, we see journalist girl uh-huh. writing in a journal. Take out her journal? Mm-hmm. Yes. So strange. there's that. But the other part, so of course, journalist girl is there doing like a just one of the guys kind of investigative reporting. Which in itself is everything you think it's going to be and more. You get the scene of her calling her editor and saying, no, there's a big story here. Give me one more day. 
even though three children have died at this point. Because they're minors, right? They're all, like, under 18. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and at one point, Hunter, when he says, like, oh, don't go too far, I don't need any more kids dying. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think we made it clear, by the way. In the story of this dream, it ends up that it's Maureen McCormick, who is the one who's killing all these kids. And they're supposed to be in a fairly remote camp. And, and we do get one scene of Eric Roberts coming home and just saying, Eve, Eve, Eve. Eve. Just and, walking through the house, yeah. But the idea must be that she's gone for hours every single day going to this camp. And what is her motivation for killing all these people? Why doesn't she just kill Snow instead? I mean, I – and that's the thing about she's this movie. Said, she's something about wanting her to suffer or something. Yeah. Right? Well, or yeah. see well, no, what, no, no, no. Here's the thing. I also, think... one, of, one of the guys just walked into a bear trap <laughs> and it cut a major artery and he just died. <laughs> Did you know there's a major artery in your ankle? Because there is. I learned it from watching Snow White A Deadly Summer. So I, I guess the thing about this movie is that you're constantly – it's set up in such a way – and maybe it's just because there's so many characters that you just constantly expect – Okay, well, Hunter has a connection to Eve. Okay, well, Eve is doing this um, out of jealousy. Okay, and so I think our brains fill in those spots quite often. So we're, I think we all sit here and say, oh, well, she probably wanted to make Snow go crazy or to make maybe even to frame Snow, and then people think Snow is the killer, but then Snow will never be the same after all the people around her died. No, I don't know if that was ever there. I think that's just what we, our minds logically connect the dots to do. Yeah, I don't know that the movie know. had any plan for anything. No, I mean, it, it, it's the reason that it's difficult to to guess who the killer is because there's no real reason that anyone should be killing anybody. And even when it's explained, it's like, oh, okay, what? Wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. And then in some cases, it's not even explained. Like, I don't think anybody ever finds out that Journalism Girl is dead. No, she all... walks in and she's in the... She's in the bathroom because she was drying her dry hair for 20 minutes. <laughs> Can we talk about their hair? Oh, talk about what? Their hair. Everyone has poofy hair. Yeah, like, I don't know if you've ever been camping. I know, Christine, you have. <laughs> yes. Does your hair look that good after four days of um, workout camping? No. Right? Her, her... Her blowout, like most of their hair looked good, but specifically the snow, her blowout was perfect. They all had Magical. perfect, like, but like natural makeup, but still makeup. I like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I get it. It didn't exist in reality. It was all a dream. <laughs> and I mean, this is, an, that's another kind of common theme in David Dakota movies, which is that everybody looks like a model and, mm-hmm. and like, like look like a model in a way that, that they look kind of not airbrushed necessarily, but you know, young fit people who don't look real. Sure. <laughs> they look like they look like California people or okay. Beverly. You know, they look and, and you can it. see that kind of and especially the again, the guys are so interchangeable for the most part. Yeah. Uh I will say that, and I don't know if anyone else felt this way, one of the male campers is a nice guy. Um and he has a uh, emotional connection with Snow. And I have to admit, I thought it Right near the end, that it was going, he was going to turn and be, and be the killer. The killer the oh, whole me too. Time. Oh, me too. So yes. used to that happening, yeah. and in some ways, that would have made a lot more sense than what yep. actually happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, because there's oh. a scene right around that time 
where you see, like, I feel like they show Maureen McCormack and then they show somebody that is clearly a young man dressed in black That's running right. to where yeah. you're like, oh, okay, there's the reveal. It's one of the guys. It's probably the nice, the nice guy, which would have made sense, but it By doesn't. Way, in that very last scene, we also have Snow has a Obi-Wan Kenobi moment with her dead mother who is <gasps> talking over and trying, that. I guess, trying to give mm-hmm. her helpful advice, but instead just serves to distract her to the point where she almost gets killed. <laughs> you know, I, I got to a point, I think I stopped taking notes of that then because I was so, I, I was like really losing it. I'm like, is this magic? I don't understand what reality we're in because it's before we know it's a dream. But the whole wait is it is it a fairy tale? Are there what kind of elements? I don't know what world I'm in. I don't know the rules of this world <laughs> and what is going to happen. Are mice going to come and build her a chariot out of a pumpkin? I don't know. <laughs> it was a lot to handle. This I, is a lot of movie. I sure. so much movie in eighty minutes. So much. I, I don't. I, mean, I I know we've already talked about it a couple of times, but the day for night shooting in this movie <laughs> is so brash I, and. <laughs> blatant and i mean like there's you would not in a million goddamn years mistake what you're seeing for nighttime it just has a light blue filter with like sun shining everywhere on the ground but these the i mean it's not even like late afternoon so not even dark enough to to even just kind of convince yourself hey maybe it's 6 a.m or something like that it's it's just full bright sunlight with a blue filter on it. So do you want to do you want to hear it's how uh, how started to hurt my eyes? <laughs> it was it did it was because blue can be a really like nightmarish color if used a certain way. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of blue. Um, do you want to hear how smart I was in high school? How how keen my instincts were about filmmaking? <laughs> so uh, for one of my classes, we had to make a movie of some kind for like AP history. And we naturally decided, or I naturally decided, to write a and film a zombie movie. And it was called Zombies Ate My Classmates. And the concept was a bunch of teenagers go to a museum and they um, end up breaking a bunch of artifacts like the Constitution and the Hope Diamond and all these random things I learned from history. And that summons a whole bunch of zombies of zombies of American presidents. So like George Washington as a zombie and George this Wallace a, as a zombie. Actually a really good idea. I'm pretty proud mm. of it. I mean, I can like I, the video exists. And uh, anyway, but here's here's the aside from it being a brilliant plot, obviously, um, Um, I knew we couldn't film at night because we were 17 and using a really cheap video camera and did not have the ability (laughs) to make a horror movie set in the evening. So do you want to know what my grand idea was? We set the movie in Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) Because the lights are always on in Alaska. Actual line from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a way around it is what I'm saying. 17-year-old me knew that. David Dakota has yet to figure that out. It, <laughs> um, other other things I wanted to make sure we hit on. Um, Christine, question for you because you're a lady. Um, have you ever, you know, you, you've drank a lot of water and you know you have to use the restroom. Have you ever said, I have to go take a pee? Oh, I heard that too. So no, absolutely not because it hit my ear weird. <laughs> has any woman ever referred to urination as take a pee? Has any man, Doug, do you say take a pee? Is that a thing? Uh, I mean, look, I'm a crass person, so it would very likely be I need to piss or I need to take a piss. Or take a uh, leak, right? Take a leak. You know what? That's I have I two just older say brothers. I need to a lot pee. of taking a leak. Yeah. Yeah, I have to pee is probably 
the, you know, the sensitive way that I would put it out there. Take a pee. Does, I mean, look, maybe it's a, a regional thing. <laughs> I wonder. Um, I really taken it. Yeah. Um, people, I guess, out west in California, um, do you say take a pee? Is it like saying inline instead of online? I need to know these things because I might just start using it to see if, if it clicks with anybody. Uh, um, I didn't catch her in this, but another person that shows up apparently was Caroline Purdy Gordon. Um, Stuart Gordon's wife, who was in Dolls. She's oh. a villain in Dolls. She plays a doctor oh, yeah. in this movie. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of brief flashbacks to Snow talking to oh. a psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's her. Okay, cool. I always am happy to see her, so there's <laughs> that. Um, there is also, I should have caught it because there were, but the reason I didn't, because I confess, I usually watch the credits of movies, but when I realized there were six minutes of credits in this movie, didn't need to sit through all of that. There are six minutes of credits. That's you got to get, get the feature length again. Yeah, that's that a Charlie Band trick right there. <laughs> Let that crawl go nice and slow. Or what it does, it like lists everybody individually. It's like special thanks to one one uh, screen. Person one, person two. Eliza Roberts was specially thanked in this movie. I'll have you know. She she she, uh, she helps uh, get Eric a lot of work. I mean, she appears in a lot of Eric Roberts movies. Very talented actress in her own right. I mean, she appeared in Animal House, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, films from from that time period. But uh, Eliza is someone who, because she basically works as Eric's agent to some mm. extent, uh, they end up traveling a lot together. It's kind of. I mean, I really like it actually. They yeah, they obviously oh, yeah. have a really That's strong a relationship. I want to mention something quickly, which is that if you go to the AKAs on the <gasps> Internet Movie Database yes! for Snow White, there's uh, – in the Netherlands, this movie is called Snow White, Curse of the Axeman. Yeah. I wrote I'm that sorry. down. Wait, what? <laughs> it all – and in the UK, it's simply known as Snow White. So this is the uh, – The only the Snow White movie ever to come out in the UK. <laughs> This is the tale of Snow White as understood by the people in the UK. <laughs> now, my question about Curse of the Axeman. Um, uh, I have a couple of questions, actually. So, number one, do you think that's a deliberate way to throw off the audience so they're expecting the killer to be male? Number two, do you think that's because at one point when David Dakota submitted the film to Netherlands, he had a different cut of it and the movie ended at some point with a male character being the killer? I, I don't I do think by the way I, I think it's fully possible that that ending was like just tacked on and, and wasn't necessarily uh, the original idea. When I think about this title, Snow White, A Deadly Summer, that's a terrible title for this movie. It doesn't make any sense. Like I when I started watching this, I was not under the impression that it was going to be like like like. Uh, well, for one thing, I did not think it was going to be taking place in modern day and that it was just going to be this loose Snow White type story. But the idea that. Um, that it was going to be basically like a slasher movie where these campers were killed one after the other. I, I was not expecting that going into it, though I guess in retrospect I should have been to some extent. So the fact that it, its title kind of, and in the, its cover in particular, kind of leans towards more like the romantic Yes, the cover is the cover's very Twilight, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and people, again, David Dakota films are, they're marketed with a lot of tricks. It, it, there's a lot of... of, of uh, hidden information mm. that that you then sit down and watch. It's like, hey, this wasn't the movie I was expecting. It's much worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, this movie has a two point two rating on IMDb. Um, do I have the ability to give it ten stars so I can help bump that up? Because that's fucking bullshit. 
Do it. We're, it make is, them pay. It's kind of low. Yeah, this is not a 2.2. It is, I mean, it's a 9.8 in my mind, but yeah, hey, I know we're not all on the same page. I want to rate this movie. I have to sign in. Oh, no, they're going to tell me stuff. Anyway, um, it's... <laughs> It, it, now Maureen McCormack gets a, gets a showcase. Uh, I wish I had found a way to like uh, talk about ringtones to have my ringtone be her screaming me. <laughs> pretty good. Oh, pretty, it's glorious. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it it's something special. It is unlike anything I've ever seen. I really can't can't say if you liked. A, you will like B. I don't know what it really pairs with. I, I don't know. That episode of Dallas where they realize it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's a question too. Where does the dream? When did the dream start? Was it just when she went to bed well, after like racing with her boyfriend? It, it was when she went to bed the night that she got abducted. Okay, yeah. so instead of getting abducted, I she think. ended she up in a mental but hospital. But then that, that would be that would be after. Well, she tried to she tried to she end tried her to... life. Um, but so, but then wouldn't that have meant that she actually saw Maureen McCormick talking to herself in the mirror? Wait, so Snow tried to kill herself, and then Maureen McCormack yeah. killed herself. Yeah. Eric Roberts' character in this movie really needs to look at what kind of household he's running. What? I I have a question. You said when did it? When did the dream begin? I want to know when the dream ended. Oh. Did she die? And is this the afterlife? Because everybody's wearing white all of a sudden, and then like I get it, they were wearing black at the ca- at the at the camp. But they're wearing white all of a sudden. But then also Maureen McCormick is there and alive. I don't think I understood the ending of this movie. I took the Maureen McCormack kind of stinger just as a, oh, wait, we need 30 seconds more in this movie. Let's 100%. send him out with something clever. <laughs> so that's what I took from that. But she's dead. Did she fake her own death? I suppose that this is one of those brilliant, ambiguous endings where you get to decide that, Christine. Maybe it was all a dream, all a dream. Like Maybe we're still dream. in the dream right now. I hope so. <laughs> I just had to talk about that because the ending really confused me. I, I yeah, I don't know. Um, Doug, do you think they're all dead? Is that is that it? I think whatever interpretation you choose uh, to use <laughs> would all be appropriate. I the the thing is, if David Dakota. Well, could make a sequel to this or 10 he would right so he has to have left Can you things ask him open. to mm, well i mean the next time i talk to him certainly uh yeah, no but I, I i i think <laughs> emily is is totally right here which is that this is still a horror movie so having all of these oh, I, I mean in a manner of speaking so having this kind of really happy ending it's in his nature to then add a stinger that it's like right. or is it yeah and, and, you know and then it leaves it open if they wanted okay. to do a potential sequel or something along those lines. I don't think you should read too much into it, though. Your interpretation, which is that maybe maybe she's still dreaming, maybe all of that actually happened and she went insane at the end. Maybe this is the afterlife. She's in some sort of purgatory. All of these are valid interpretations of this movie, which 
<laughs> which is in some ways completely unwatchable. <laughs> I, I tend to think the after, when I think of the afterlife and what the scenario is, I've pretty much accepted that it's probably going to be me hanging out with a bunch of like fellow juvenile delinquents. Well, admittedly, my afterlife yeah, we're in a white shirt. Yeah. <laughs> my afterlife is almost certainly going to involve me opening my eyes in heaven and seeing Eric Roberts smiling down. Oh, at without me. question. Yeah. I mean, I'll get the crazy hermit lady, but you'll get Eric Roberts. That's <laughs> Maybe if I play my cards right, I'll get Marsha Brady, but I don't know. I, I don't know if I've behaved well enough. She's busy. <sighs> yeah, well, I, I hope so. And I mean, she's she's fine in this. She's doing whatever she can she, with what she has. She's fine in this. Yeah. No, it is surprisingly well acted for what this is. Oy. It's kind of, it's funny because as we're saying so, this, I, I was looking at like the other movies that um, everybody did. And one of the ones that Barbara Kimlicka wrote was Falling for Christmas, which was a, like, again, a typical dumb holiday love movie. But it was surprisingly well acted where the actress had chemistry to where at the end of the movie, I'm like, was that a good movie or did it just cast the right people? And I think it's kind of the same here. So I have to ask, is every, did everybody talk about everything they need to talk about with this movie? I, I think. I mean, I could probably go on for hours, but I don't think the world needs <laughs> no. that. But is that there's nothing there's nothing specific that anybody else needed to address. No. I, look, I look, I'm disappointed in both of you. There's a piece of driftwood wearing knee high oh, patent leather Christine, red boots. I put that on the Facebook page. Yeah. But nobody wants to talk about <laughs> it like in depth. Is that an art piece? <laughs> it that because that shot shows up like two minutes into the movie, and when it did, I, I I did I just paused and I stopped and I probably took five minutes to compose myself because I'm like I don't know what I'm looking at, but it is the greatest sight I've what ever seen in my life. Is that? Yeah, Doug, you say I, that the look, house appears in the movie. Does and for anybody listening, it's it's on the Facebook page, and I'll bump it up again. It is. It is just. Driftwood wearing so, red high heel booties. So we didn't really talk about it to any great detail. So so there is a very strange house that that has a spiral staircase yes. and a lot of crazy crap on the wall and a whole bunch of nautical themed decorations yes. and, and car themed uh, yes. as well. Uh, and it's particularly some of the furniture and things. It, it gets even more wacky in a talking cat and a Halloween puppy. Oh, Both of those kind of. They lead into the fact that this is kind of a wacky location. Well, here it's just supposed to be some guy's house. Like, a, 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 I guess so, we don't know what Eric Roberts does for a living, but he must be some sort of serious businessman because man. He, yes. he, he wears a suit that's he three times business. the size. Uh, and <laughs> this house, I don't know who owns the house proper or maybe owned the house proper, but it, it – I would be shocked to discover that they did much decorating. I think that the dude or uh, or uh, woman who owns it just has a lot of really weird art and uh, honestly really tacky stuff all over the walls and kind of all over the place generally. And one of them is a piece of wood with high heels. <laughs> so does this piece of wood with high heels appear in other movies? My understanding is that it does, like wow. frequently. In <gasps> How have they not just made wow. a spin-off of the piece of wood in heels? <laughs> I would pay I'm gonna say $117 for that movie. Just to watch it. I would pay easily a thousand to own it. I mean I I think 
So there's a movie called Sorority Slaughterhouse, which I watched semi-recently from 2016. So it's a little newer than this movie. This house also features uh, – is really the center of it because it's about the, a sorority house. <laughs> That's this house <laughs> where all these different young women live in it. And Eric Roberts kills himself and his soul is transferred into a killer doll, a what? clown doll. What? Um, which then proceeds to come – and murder a bunch of these sorority girls. And I understand that people listening to me saying that right now are like, hey, that sounds actually like it could be pretty good. Well, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but it, they toned down some of the decoration that we see in this movie and in some of the uh-huh. other movies from around this time period. So I don't remember it having as much of this kind of distinct art, probably because it would be hard to explain why there's like all of these nautical and car themed art pieces. <laughs> and a piece of Woodward High Heels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, but my, I, I, if I remember correctly to the movies that David Dakota was making at this time period, like I, the decor is something that really sticks out. Do they change the shoes on the piece of wood? Like, so is it ever wearing Converse, or is it always those red booties? I mean, I, I'm shocked that Charles Band didn't at least at some point see this and be like, look, just carve that into a small right? figurine. Just put a head on it, start, call it a doll, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and, and we'll just pull it along by a string, and it'll start murdering things. If we, if we need to give it a credit in the credits, that adds two seconds to our running time. Do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I know, Christine, it is a thing of beauty. It, and I just wanted to give it its proper due. Yes. It's, uh, this episode is dedicated to the piece of wood wearing red booties. Without question. Thank you. Yes, it's Thank glorious. Boy, so where do people find this movie? Is it, it's not streaming anywhere that we know of? It's like, this is exactly the kind of movie that might appear on one of your lower tier streaming services <laughs> like a Tubi or a Voodoo or something like yeah. that. Okay. It's on, I mean, it might show up on... Hulu, sometimes if you go into the bowels of the yeah, Hulu, the, the, yeah they get pretty dirty in there. Yeah, it can get, and, and that that's the fun place, right? That To me, it's like that reminds me of walking along the those VHS store, aisles. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can kind of – the fact is you're unlikely to be pleasantly surprised. But uh, <laughs> if you're like me and are an eternal optimist, you can hold out hope that that movie that has that great-looking cover might somehow live up to that cover when you actually watch it. Spoiler, it don't. Well, uh, unless but, it's Snow White, a deadly summer. Exactly. Uh, so I'm not 100% sure where you can find it streaming at the moment. Uh, keep your eyes out. Uh, I'm going to take a look if you can just rent it because that, that would be a good thing yeah. to know for, for now that we've talked it up so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you talk for a second? I'll find out. Oh, where yeah. Can... No. So, Christine, do you recommend this movie? Um. Look. I think if anybody actually listened to this all the way through and is interested, they know what they're going to be getting. And if they want to watch it, they should watch it. Okay. I obviously hate it. I mean, mean, watching it is just fun because it's bonkers. It's bonkers. But like I said, my only real, like my only real honest critique of this is that the pacing is, is so bizarre. And at one point I said, this movie either has 15 minutes left or 45 like i have no idea and we looked and it was it was right at the halfway point and it felt like it was almost over like yeah it's it is unusual in that regard if you will it is it it is unusual yes uh i'm glad i watched me too did you find a source for it for anyone 
there is no unfortunately no streaming option that would would come with like a package. However, if you want to watch Snow White: A Deadly Summer, and hell, why wouldn't you? Uh, you can certainly uh, do an online rental via Amazon uh, for okay. two ninety nine. Good price Worth for a rental. Penny. Two ninety nine. You can get it on iTunes, Vudu, Microsoft Store, Google Play. Uh, it's you can even rent it through YouTube. It's available, and you can it's buy it for as low as four ninety nine or three ninety nine even. So you could own it uh, in a streaming form for uh, till till someone decides that you're not allowed to watch it anymore. And by <laughs> doing that, you are helping to contribute to the, the the funds so that the next movie, Eric Roberts can wear a better fitting suit. I mean, he needs it. <laughs> Seriously. Well, the fact the fact is most of this cast almost certainly are just wearing either their own clothes or <laughs> the uniform that is That's uh, what uh, I figured. <laughs> What's well, the thing like did they kind of run like there was like a sale on t-shirts but it was like buy two get one free and they're like what about the other people? Um do you guys own like a, a black shirt? Yeah, it's a tank top. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Just go with they it. They were like Okay, well, show up Tuesday. You have to wear jeans. What kind? It doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Black. Any, any kind of jeans. Black. Um, in a black shirt. Well, it kind of black. Just as long as it's black. Okay. <laughs> By the way, that's Sneakers your costume. Sneakers too, everybody. Yes. Yeah. Kind of. She's wearing boots, which is not convenient if you're running in the woods. Oh, but it's it's glorious. Oh, but I really liked her outfit. It, it was no. She she was cute. Like she looked really cute in it. When she, she looked, great hair. looked adorable. Oh, yeah. All right. Well. Um, before we tap into what we're going to cover next, that was Snow White, A Deadly Summer, highly recommended by the Feminine Critique. I, I also thought it was called Snow White, A Cruel Summer, and I thought <laughs> you've all been saying it wrong, but clearly I'm the wrong one. <laughs> they, they were afraid they'd get sued if they used that one. Oy. Um, that would have that made more sense, whatever. I don't know. I mean, seven people die. Well, maybe they don't because it might be a dream. I don't know. Maybe we people die. Oh no! Well, Marie McCormack definitely dies because she leaves. Nope. I mean, kills herself. No, she didn't. True. Maybe that was she, her. She's eat. at the end of the movie. Oh, it's it's just a, a snake eating its tail, right? Like the more you chase it, the more it just winds in a circle, and it is a piece of glory. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, the big the big takeaway here is we definitely watch this movie <laughs> some of we? us <laughs> really enjoyed this movie <laughs> if it was indeed a movie and not a hey, way of life if a listener decides to seek this out a hey, good on them we'd love to hear what their thoughts Can't wait. were on it but i would strongly recommend you follow that up with bigfoot versus db cooper <laughs> and for sure hey if you just want to email me directly and <laughs> tell me your thoughts on that <laughs> i want to hear Oh, God, I'll be so excited if people watch this movie and, and talk to us about it, because I want the world to see it. I haven't felt this way since the Nutcracker 3D. Like, everybody needs to see this movie that nobody's talking about for good reason, but they, if they see it, they'll understand why they can talk about it. <sighs> All right, so on the, on the same line of recommendations, we always like to leave our listeners with a streaming recommendation of some kind. Unfortunately, Snow White, A Deadly Summer, is not available for streaming, but there are other things out there. Uh, Doug, did you have anything that you wanted to uh, push? Well, you know, I've already mentioned it to some extent. Uh, I'm a, I really want people to support the Criterion channel simply because uh, we were denied Filmstruck after such a short amount of time. And one of the nice things about Criterion channel compared to Filmstruck as a streaming service is that it's available in Canada uh, nice. where Good. Filmstruck... I was able to access it using 
devious means, but generally it wasn't available at all. Um, and I think it's available in other parts of the world as well, or if not, that that they're currently working on it. Good. Look, uh, Criterion Channel, it's not just Criterion uh, movies. Like I said, they've had collections about noir. They have collections of world cinema. They have collections of... Um, I, I think there's a real attempt to diversify the 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 sorts of movies that are being shown on it so you get a lot of female perspective a lot of pe- people of color perspective Very i think good. it's a really healthy way to appreciate cinema uh internationally uh and also you know just some some of the greatest movies ever made in these sort of collections and it, it unfortunately it appeals to my um worse nature in regards to my film watching habits in that when I see a collection of something, I want to watch it all all start to finish. And that, that's a really, that's, that's an unfortunate thing because it just, it might make me in a lot of cases, watch things. I actually not enjoying that much simply to be a completist. Thankfully in this case, I've only enjoyed what I've been watching so far. And of course there's lots of supplementary materials and sort of thing. It seems like probably I'm this, um, shill for (laughs) but i really do think it's worthwhile and it's one of the better streaming services to come along and even though i did make a uh disparaging remark at this at the kind of movies that show up on tubi which is tubi.tv um it is sort of a uh, it's it's an ad supported streaming Mm -hmm. service um if you are the kind of person who's probably listening to this podcast or enjoys strange uh, and unique films, you can find a lot of odd and interesting material if you go in there. A lot of Arrow films uh, have been nice. added to it over the recent months. Uh, a, a lot of the Full Moon catalog, if that's the kind of thing that floats your boat. A lot of really fun, especially you know horror and exploitation type material that you can find if you, if you do a little uh, digging. So uh, it might not be one you think of. But because it's available on every, almost any streaming device, whether it be a Roku, whether it be a PlayStation 4, whether whatever, uh, you can you can access it almost uh, everywhere and anywhere. Uh, it's worth going out of your way to. Yeah, check I, out. I hadn't really heard of Tubi. That's useful to know. I'm going to look into it. Yeah, worth a cool. shot at the very least. Very cool. Christine, do you have anything? Well, I already recommended two things that were on um, Shutter, mm-hmm. and I didn't really think ahead. So <laughs> I'm going to say that. I've already recommended this and talked about it, but in case people forgot, because it's a a movie with a title that you could probably forget what it was, it is a movie called The Monster that is streaming on the Netflix, and it has Zoe Kazan. Yes. I don't know. I've heard it said both ways. I don't know who's right. Um, And it's about a a monster. Um, It's a real, real good movie, and if you haven't watched it, you've probably should i've had it on my um, queue and i keep forgetting to actually give it a go it's real good but um yeah like similar to what doug said though if you have the roku channel you could just watch the two seasons of the reality show where the new kids on the block um <laughs> are on a cruise <laughs> i i was not aware that was a thing is it all five of them um yeah we wow. watched all the episodes in like two nights um so yeah get 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 a substance that you enjoyed it imbibe and just sit and, <laughs> and watch imbibe two and... seasons of uh the the new kids on a cruise with their i don't know christine i don't think i have the right stuff Ba-boom. I, look I think you can hang tough with oh. these guys. You can watch each episode <laughs> step by step. <laughs> uh, that was really good. 
It's, I, I can't remember if I've ever said this, but like I was, see, I'm the youngest in my family. So what that meant was that things that were cool for my generation and younger weren't cool for me because my siblings would make fun of it. So I hated yes. the new kids on the block. I, all my friends loved them. And I was me like, too. no, they're stupid. They're this. And yeah. So like now that there's that whole like back like love them. for it, I'm like, yeah, no, they didn't do anything for me then. And they certainly don't now. Yeah. Oh no, me neither. The the joy is just the absurdity of the situation. Okay, I get it. The cruise and the it's so fascinating. Yeah. But if you have the Roku channel, it's completely free. And you <laughs> I mean, can just watch it until there's no episodes and then you go, Why aren't there more episodes? <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Let me rewatch Snow White again. <laughs> Um, all right, so mine, I'm going to also repeat a recommendation just because there's a new season of this now. The <laughs> cops are coming to get me, obviously, because I'm <laughs> repeating a Netflix recommend. Uh, okay, so my Netflix recommend, this is, I believe, the internationally most watched original Netflix show in the world. I don't think it's that big in the United States because I don't hear anybody talking about it and I don't see any like in that much writing about it or recapping about it. But it's a show that just aired its third season. It is a Brazilian show called 3%. Hmm. It is so good. I don't have any idea what this is. Okay. It is basic. The easiest way to sum it up is sort of think of a cross between The Hunger Games and Lost. Uh, it is this... Have you talked about this before? I did, yeah. I talked about it probably last year after I watched the first two seasons. And then they just put out season three. And it's really consistent. Like, it's been getting... It gets better. Um, and the concept is, in Brazil, or in somewhere, they never really say where, but it's obviously Brazil, sometime in the future. They don't say when, but sometime in the future. <laughs> um, the Everybody's living on this island where, they, where everything is poor, and there's no food, and no water, and such. But... When you turn 20 years old, you get the chance to go to the offshore. If you pass this process, which is kind of not Hunger Games-ish, where you're not murdering each other, but it's this days-long test to prove whether you're worthy. And only 3% of the young people make it, and they go to an island, and they live in bliss and harmony, while everybody else then has to just live the rest of their lives in misery. And, of course, there's a, a rebellion brewing, and the season season one is a, is kind of about one of the processes, and there's a mole or two who are infiltrating it. Um, season two gets more into the cause and the rebellion, and then season three is kind of like a big shift. It's very lost-ish as far as, like, there's mythology to the history of the island and the people that founded the island and all these stories about them that aren't true. And it's really good and the cast is so good it's all these young people you've never seen in your life so you don't recognize them you don't know who's gonna live you don't know who's gonna die um it's refreshing it looks great uh and it just feels fresh and new it's great music it's all like folksy violin music and the cinematographer is the guy that did city of god so it looks really Mm. good um and it's just it's it's such a recommend it's it's not I don't know who it's aimed at. Like it, I think it's fine if for young people because it's it can get violent, but it never goes too far. But it's it treats everybody like adults, so it's not really like hand holding you. Um, I, Christine, I think you would really like it. I remember you mentioning it, and this is what I always say: Why does Netflix? I, and I hate Netflix, and I'm going to cancel it. Why do they not show me things? They, yeah, oh, it's like the same. It's the 
name four movies. Yep. They're like, watch these movies. I don't want to watch them. Can't, where's that? Remember that button where you could be like, not interested, and well, it would stop. Yeah, they. they I guess they I, got, I hate. When and it's, it's strange become. because it's the thing I don't like about Netflix is how hard they shove their original content at you. Yeah. But for some mm-hmm. reason, they and three percent is a Netflix produced show. There's even apparently some drama because. In season three, there's a major character who, in the first episode, they say is dead and has died off screen. You're like, how'd they do that with that character? And what I found out is, oh, because in Brazil, the way contracts work is very different, where you're an actor and you end up getting a contract with the network, and it's sort of like the old studio system where you can't work for anyone else, and Netflix basically didn't lock this actor in, (laughs) so this actor ended up getting cast in, like, a telenovela in Brazil and can't do 3% anymore. So it's an, and it's an interesting thing because it is produced in Brazil. It's in Portuguese. Watch it that way. Don't watch it dubbed because it's terrible dubbed. <laughs> um, and it's, I mean, Brazil is a huge country. So if you have enough people there watching it, then you've upped your numbers significantly. But I think across the world, I think it's really popular. It just doesn't seem to have caught on in the U.S. And I don't know if it's just because we're still dumb and can't read when we watch something or what. But it's good. Hmm. Good recommend. Give it a try. Yeah. Give it a try. I'm, I'm going to check that out. I would look forward to hearing what you think, Doug. Okay. Who does, it, who does Eric Roberts play in it? Um, he, I believe, is going to be revealed to oh. be like the actual head of everything. I know They're that seems waiting. like a joke, but he recently—he not only appeared in a Nollywood movie, a uh, Nigerian oh. film, but also appeared recently in a Mexican telenovela television series. <gasps> oh my god! So, like, <laughs> Brazil isn't that far from Mexico. Like, you take a plane and get there pretty quickly is all I'm saying. Oh. I mean, at that, okay, at that point, you're going to bring back the show, right, if he ends up there? At least a special edition. Um, okay, before we let Doug go, Christine, is there anything you're itching to cover on the next episode? Not really. Okay, because I have an idea. Sorry. Sorry, that was a bad answer. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> it's fine because I noticed something show up on Amazon that I've never seen. And I feel like we should watch it and talk about it because it was a huge cultural thing and it totally went by me. And I wonder if it did you too. Okay. Uh, indecent Proposal. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Let's do it. No. Me neither. Okay, good. Done. Okay, so that'll be the next episode. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, Doug, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, A lot of different places. I have a podcast called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, which you can find over at ericrobertsistheman.com or on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. I also have another podcast called No Budget Nightmares, which uh, focuses on shot on video, micro-budget cinema. Find that over at nobudgetpodcast.com or on Twitter uh, at nobudgetpodcast. I also have a third podcast uh, which is about Alpha Flight, the Canadian superhero team. Uh, it's called The Flight Stuff. You can find I that over. I didn't know that was a real thing. It's a real thing. We're, uh, we're a number of episodes in. I had no background on uh, Alpha Flight as a superhero team, as a comic book property, really. I knew it existed, but didn't know anything about it outside of that one of the members was from Newfoundland. But uh, I, uh, I am now very into it because I was a necessary addition to the show as a Canadian representative since the other two hosts are not Canadian. So I was like, I you need to have me here, otherwise it's not legitimate. Otherwise so it's yeah, racist, yeah. Uh, I, I think honestly, I'm offended at the idea yeah. of a Alpha Flight theme podcast that has no Canadians or really anyone being near that property that is not Canadian. Reasonable. You can find that 
on Twitter at FlightStuffPod, or if you want to check out the podcast proper, it's over at Cinepunks.com. And you can find me on Twitter if you want, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Very good. And I recommend following you because you're a funny guy. You'll know very soon whether you want to keep following me or not. If you <laughs> follow and then unfollow a couple days later, I will not take offense, I promise. <laughs> Christine, do you have anything going on that you want to tell the people about? No. How about you? No. Uh, uh, yes, I do. I want to tell everybody to <laughs> read Christine's books and buy her books. ChristineMakePeace.com, uh, right? Is that angel. a thing? Yeah. Okay. That is a thing. That's a thing. You should go check it out if you haven't read Christine's hey, writing. Thanks. It's very good. You should read it. Okay. All right. So if you're in, if you're having to be a literary agent, you can send me an email and you can <laughs> you can sign me to your literary agency. Just if you happen to be listening and we're just like, oh, interesting. So you can do that. I firmly <laughs> save me from that. awful life. Oh. Okay. Well, on happier matters, we're gonna. We're going to leave and find out that we're still in a dream or that we're not in a dream or that it doesn't matter. Uh, Thank you all and happy summer. Bobby, Bobby, reason with the woman. I'm a little short this morning. He's my pa, Miss Pennywise. Can he come in for free just this once? Get your head out of the clouds, Bobby Strong. No one gets in for free. Every morning you all come here And every morning some of you got reasons why you ain't gonna pay And I'm here to tell you, you is gonna pay In the name of God, Penny, what difference could it make? What difference? Times are harder, cash is tight, you've got the right, I've heard it all before Just this once is once too much, cause once they've once, don't want to once, once more I run the only toilet in this part of town, you see so if you gotta go, you got to go through me. It's a privilege to be. Water's worth its weight in gold these days. No more bathrooms like in olden days. You come here and pay a fee for the privilege to pee. 20 years we've had the drought. And our reservoirs have all dried up. I take my baths now in a coffee cup. I boil what's left of it for tea. And it's a privilege to pee. The politicians in their wisdom saw that there should be a law. The politicians taxed the toilets and made illegal public urination. Defecation. So come and give your coins to me. Write your name here in the record book. The authorities will want to look if you've been regular with me. If you've paid the proper fee for the privilege to pee. But Miss Pennywise. I said no buts, Bobby. You're a sweet-looking boy, and I likes to keep you around. But this man ain't coming in without paying. Not this time! I can't wait much longer, Bobby. There's no telling what I might do. You think you got some kind of a right. Kind of right, kind of right. You think you come in here and go for free. The only thing you'll get is no for free. I'm a business gal, you see. I sell the privilege to be. So we piss each day until we piss 
Crazy with a nightshirt half the time dumb. to fight with me. 